A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 195 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herlman. And with me, like the urge to run and hide when the Force deals you a backhand, the EU guru himself, the count of those two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. I am the Force Martini. Slap. (laughs) Or something like that. Pitch. Although there are, I'm sure that those out there who are not as big of fans of The Force Awakens as I am, and not as big of fans of Kylo Ren as I and my wife are, will say that as soon as you use that B word in Star Wars, they immediately think of Kylo Ren throwing a tantrum. Did, did you, I saw this great meme. It was an alternate universe where Kylo Ren, instead of taking his inspiration from his grandfather, he took it from his grandmother. <laughs> And he had Padme's crown piece on. I was like, yes, that's awesome. (laughs) I will not condone a course of action that leads us to war, General Hawks. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we once again look back over the year of Star Wars, this week's focus being the uh, other stuff. So consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure Beyond the Films. Well, laughing while I was muted because it struck me that wouldn't that make him Caitlyn Wren instead of Kylo Wren? I know, I know. Well played. (laughs) It's a 2015 joke. Why are you doing a 2015 joke in 2016? Uh, And somewhat insensitive because I am an a-hole sometimes. Um, That's right. We are looking at. 2016 in review, but it's all sort of the things that weren't included back in our coverage of books and comics, which means we're talking about, among other things here, things like video games, things like non-video games, like miniatures games and whatnot. We're also looking at Star Wars on television. We're looking at Star Wars, of course, on the big screen and other things relating to home video releases, so the movies in some form or another. And, of course, a brief mention at the end of the celebration that happened this year, which does wind up fitting within our coverage. So we'll start with video games. And before we get to PC and consoles, let's take a quick look at the apps. 
We actually have three new Star Wars app-based games this year, and there have been some updates to one that Mark has been playing for a while as well, albeit one from a previous year. We have Star Wars Uprising, Galaxy of Heroes, Recon Missions, that is Rebels Recon Missions, and updates to Star Wars Commander. Yeah, now of these, uh, the Star Wars Rebel Missions, I actually played that one for a little bit. Uh, It has that, you know... Kind of uprising feel to it, you know. You third person running around, you're Ezra, uh, different characters from Rebels. I haven't played much of them though. I think that my problem here is just the time factor. I was playing Commander pretty hot and heavy there. Uh, I stopped for a while, noticed there was an update, went back, played a little bit more. Uh, but I, I've reached that point with most of these games where they've all become that grind, which I'm sure, Nate, you're going to talk about more when you get to Uprising. Uh, Uprising was the same, where I started to play and I just kind of dropped out before I got to the grind. The one of the game that I played to that point was Star Wars Commander. Uh and I'm there. I'm just so done. Uh, I've got my level 10 base. I've I've maxed everything out. And I'm just getting beat up all the time. It's like this this isn't fun anymore. Uh, and it seems like the the app-based games are definitely that whole aspect of, well, you can play it for cash or you can just play it to play. But if you're going to play it to play, it's going to be very frustrating every single day. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, these are these uh, so-called freemium games, right? Free versus premium. They are free to download, free to play, technically. But then once you get to a certain point it becomes so much of a grind or so much of a slog that you might want to sort of give yourself a leg up by spending some actual money. Uh, Of these, I have not played Commander beyond just trying out the first few missions. We mentioned that in last year's year-end review. I have not played Rebels Recon missions. In fact, I hadn't even realized that it existed until about a week ago. Galaxy of Heroes, I haven't tried because from what I understand, there's no story content. Uprising, I have... And I find my opinion has changed a little bit since discussing Uprising a couple of times on Cloud City Casino uh, over there with Michael Morris and Bruce Gibson over at StarWarsReport.com. And basically, Uprising, the concept is intriguing. It's the idea that the system including Hoth, the Anoat sector, which basically means Anoat, Hoth, Bespin, Burnin, Conan, I believe it's how you say or excuse me, Burnin, Khan, and uh, Matau have basically been locked down when the Emperor was killed, the local imperial uh, governor, Adelhard, basically locked it down with what he calls the Iron Blockade, trying to stop ships from going in and out, trying to stop information from coming in and out, and trying to pretend that the emperor is still alive and still beating the rebel alliance so he can maintain this tight grip. And he's got these things called purge troopers under a guy named Commander Bragg who go out, and basically if you have proof that the Emperor is dead or anything like that, proof of what's going on in the outside galaxy, he will not only hunt you down and kill you, but kill everyone you have had contact with to make sure that the secret remains safe. The first, The first chapter takes you up basically to level 40 with your character. And the idea is that basically for each time you level up your character, there tends to be about one story mission that becomes available. So the first about 40 missions, give or take, for your character basically feels kind of inconsequential. It's a whole lot of fetch quests and things like that that just, they don't feel like they have much impact on anything until you get to the end of it and find a transmission from Leia from two months ago at the Battle of Endor that proves that the Emperor is dead. Nice. And then things just kind of came to a grinding halt. 
I mean, it, it, it didn't have any more content, and it seemed like that was the ending point. And instead, what they did was said, okay, there is going to be more content, but only after the community together winds up, as you do these assault missions, you build up points toward a sector battle at a particular planet. When you have a sector battle start at that planet, it reduces the points for the sector battle at all the other locations back down to zero. So you have to start to start over. So once you unlock this particular planet sector battles, you can go to Bespin, or you can go and have more missions here or more missions there. And they've started to do this as sort of like a periodic update cycle. Here's a few missions. Stop. Now you've got to have a sector battle at this particular location that the community wins so that you can unlock more missions at this planet and then more missions at this planet. And each time it's adding a little more gear and a little more things you can do and a, a few more story missions. But it is an extreme grind. I'm at the point now where I am a level 64 character. I have not hit the current level cap that exists after the most recent update. So I still have a few more story missions to go. But there's basically a 400,000 XP gap between reaching level 64 and getting to level 65. And you can only generally play basically 11 guaranteed missions per day. Five assault missions, five daily credit missions, and one opportunity mission. And those 11 may or may not be enough to get you enough XP to actually get to the next level. So it's at a point where even if you're playing everything you possibly can each day, you may not actually get to play another story mission for two or three days. And that just it takes the grinding and grinds it to even more of a halt. And there's really nothing you can do about that even if you spend money. A lot of the more recent missions also seem to be designed to make you spend money. Like, uh, here's a an arena-type battle. You have one or two back-to-tanks total that you can use to get some of your health back. You're starting at high health anyway, but here's a bunch of waves of gundarks to just kick your ass all over the place. So you're virtually guaranteed at least once or twice to have to revive unless you want to start the mission back over again. And what does revive cost? 60 chromium. How do you get chromium? Most of the time, the most effective way is real money. So it's sort of one of these things where it seems like they're leaning further and further towards, wow, we need to get to squeeze more money out of this freemium game if at all possible. They have a, lo a long-term plan, it seems, but at the same time, the money-making side has sort of ramped up, it seems like, more recently. Though I will say, if you're wanting to do that, if you're going to play... And I would suggest getting yourself some Chromium so you can revive and things like that. I wouldn't do it the obvious way. You can buy Chromium in bulk in the game's little built-in store. To get 1,087 Chromium, so about 1,100 Chromium, is $30. Or you can spend $3 like I did and get the long-term smuggling contract. What the long-term smuggling contract does is for 30 days... Each time you log in new for the next game day, which is 7 p.m. Eastern to the next day, 7 p.m. Eastern, each time you log in for the first time each day, it gives you 40 Chromium for 30 days. So if you remember to log in every day, that's 1,200 Chromium by the time the month is over for $3 instead of 1,100 for $30. You just have to be consistent about logging in as you go. Uh, that I would actually wow. recommend. $3 is nothing to be able to get that much to help you in the game, but buying it the way that they have it bought in bulk, oh, hell no. Yeah, that's definitely a much better avenue of attack. I kind of wish they had something like that with Commander. One of the things that really drove me nuts about that game is, 
you know, I, I don't have time to play it like that every single day. Uh, me and Tom from Iron Cannon, you know, we, we're in the same team. He's on my team. And, you know, one of the complaints we had is is that we, we're not able to sit here every so many hours and get in. Uh, it, it's one of those aspects where, you know, I'm ready to just bash my head against the wall. I'm like, come on, really? This is the most frustrating angle here. Now, if they had something similar in that regard for Commander, I'd be much happier because you, you leave and you only have a, a, a small amount of uh, ally creators and money creators. And the problem is there's no harvesting droids. So, like, you know, they're at, say, level 8, right? So they only max out at a certain number. But the, to get a level 9 is an insane amount of money. But I'm not there to collect it all the time. But you know what's happening while I'm not there? I'm getting attacked 24 freaking 7. So I come back and I have no freaking supplies because I wasn't there to harvest it. And while I wasn't there to harvest it, everybody that came and attacked me, oh, guess where they're raiding? The supply that's supposed to be building up. So it got to that point where I would be gone for days and I'd come in and I wouldn't have anything waiting for me. I'm like, this is so fucking... <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, not a fan of that. I th I think that Uprising could stand to be streamlined quite a bit, but at the same time, it's turned out better than it seemed like before. Uh, if you can stick with it and stick past that first 40 levels worth of missions, the original content to where it really kicks off and it's really about you versus the Empire instead of doing all these fetch quests for different gangs, and granted, there's still a lot of fetch quest type things later, then I think you'll get more out of it. Definitely try the $3 thing if you're going to spend any money on it. Don't spend more than that. And if you are playing Uprising, there is a clan. Clans only go up to like 40 members, I think, but it's like 20 or 40, but we're not full. Uh, we do have a clan or a cartel, as they call them, in Uprising called Beyonders. So feel free to join that. Speaking of games, before we get into the console games, let's hit the one PC game that is a PC exclusive and remains so. That is... The Old Republic. The Old Republic had another major expansion this year, Knights of the Fallen Empire. Now, that's a story that looks pretty dang interesting. Uh, I remember when they showed us the little cutscene for that, and you saw the two twins, the one one's light, one's dark, and the way it all plays out. I was, I was immediately intrigued. The other thing about this game slash era that I, I love to point out is this is your only ongoing legend story and in fact this is last year as we pointed out two episodes ago we had eight online tour stories that all tied into this game so you know it's the one aspect of legends that's still breathing and it's like i'm not going anywhere uh and i think that too is, is an exciting thing you know i mean legends gets dumped on a lot but this game this game doesn't get that kind of dishing like this game's got its own staying power. You know, it, it's able to overcome the fact that Legends has died. There's enough people playing it that they're still giving it content. You know, uh, I, I got friends that talk to me on Facebook and like, look, Mark, it's never going to happen. Look, the numbers. Disney's not going to throw money into this. It costs too much money to come after a dead product. They're not going to do it. Well, in this case, they're already paying these people. So it makes sense that they're going to continue. I like that fact. I'm like, hey, you know, as long as there's an era out there that's growing, I'm cool with that. Granted, there are those fans out there that are like, hey, it's set before episode four and episode one. So, hey, it's it could be canon. No, no, it's Legends. It's distinctly Legends. Let's not muddy the water. And actually, that was recently reconfirmed. Pablo Hidalgo was asked another question about, you know, the, the old Republic and something relating to it. I believe it was on Twitter. And he did confirm yet again, no. As he put it, Bioware's Star Wars is Legends, not canon, so any questions about it in relation to canon are essentially irrelevant. 
So yes, The Old Republic is only Legends. I did not check this one out yet. I am so far behind on keeping up with the different story aspects of The Old Republic. I know Jameson Glass keeps sending me information for the timeline, which is awesome, so that I can finally go back and watch it and sift through it, but I have fallen way behind on tour, and part of it is just how extremely much time I had to spend just to be able to summarize and see the integration of the original class stories when I summarized it for the timeline a couple of years ago to the point where it almost burned me out on watching tour stuff because I don't <laughs> play. I watch it on YouTube and it just, it can be a brain drain quite a bit, but I yeah. like the fact that they are still going with it. And this does seem like one of the more intriguing storylines. I just hope they don't pull the plug on tour before we get a definitive answer to how this era wraps up to lead into other future eras, that they don't leave this as a conflict that has no resolution, because I doubt that we would get a resolution in the form of some guidebook or something at some other point, because the guidebooks now seem to be leaning towards canon rather than legends as well. I don't want to see this as a loose end. Yeah, that I think would be a a really bad blow. Uh, And let's put this in perspective for you guys out there. If you don't know who the main villain of this is, it's another emperor. It's the Sith Emperor, uh, Vidatat. He's had a couple different names. At this point, I think his name is also changed once more. Uh, he's basically energy, I guess is the best way to put it. He's moving from body to body at this point. Uh, you know, and you could, in theory, in legends, say that this emperor could even eventually become Emperor Palpatine, as far as we know. I mean, they're really playing it kind of close to the deck there as to where he's going to go. And yeah, I mean, if if they left that wide open, it's the Darth Maul effect. I mean, we're like, wait, he's still there. You have a Sith Lord out there. How? how nobody notices this. Who's going to hunt down Darth Maul? Uh, same thing. Who's going to come after the Emperor? That brings us to the console games, or games that are at least played more on consoles at this point. We have, to start with, Disney Infinity 3.0. This is a game that is available for various consoles. It's also available on PC just without using the figures. They, in fact, just released, of all things, an Apple TV version of Disney Infinity 3.0, so you can play it if you have an Apple TV box with an actual controller. This is one of those toy-based games. You have the toy box area, which is sort of a free-for-all, create what you want, play whatever, play with any figures that you have. You also have play sets, which are story-based missions set in a particular world. Like, for instance, for Disney Infinity 2.0, you had quite a few play sets for Marvel. You had a Spider-Man 1, an Avengers 1, and so on. In this case, there are three different Star Wars play sets that have been released. We have Twilight of the Republic in the prequel era, Rise Against the Empire in the original trilogy era, and the recently released The Force Awakens just in the era of that film. They've released quite a few different figures, and yes, to play as a given figure in any of the ones that are for consoles where you have a base to put a figure on, you do have to actually own the figure. If you're playing on PC or on an app version, you either buy digital characters in the game itself, or you buy a figure and you get a web code with the figure that you then redeem within the game to be able to play as those characters. I'm actually going to be, as part of our big giveaway here with the year in review, giving away tons and tons of web codes because I actually own all the Star Wars and Marvel stuff and Tron stuff and quite a bit more for Disney Infinity and have tons of unused web codes that I can email to people. 
Suffice to say, they did do quite a few releases in several waves for Disney Infinity. If you want to see specific video content of it, check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash chrono radio. There you will find a guide to Disney Infinity for Star Wars fans, a series that I do relating to this stuff. They've released Anakin and Ahsoka Tano. They are native to Twilight of the Republic, and the Twilight of the Republic playset piece comes with them. And they also, the playset piece and those two characters are also bundled in the Disney Infinity 3.0 starter set. There's a regular starter set and a saga bundle starter set that also comes with Rise Against the Empire, that playset piece, and Luke and Leia. Luke and Leia with that piece can also be bought separately as a playset pack. We have Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Darth Maul. For Twilight of the Republic, or at least in that era, that are released separately. Obi-Wan and Yoda are native to Twilight of the Republic. By native, I mean you can play with them immediately in the playset. Maul, you have to unlock the ability to play with by finding his uh, champion coin. For Rise Against the Empire, aside from Luke and Leia, we also have Han and Chewie that are native to it. And Darth Vader that you have to find a coin to be able to play with. They did store timed exclusives of Rebels figures. We had Kanan, Ezra, Sabine, and Zeb. They are now widely available rather than exclusive to any individual store. Then more recently, they just released on the same day that The Force Awakens came out in theaters. They released The Force Awakens playset pack, which comes with Finn and Rey. They also released the individual Poe that is also native to that set. And Kylo Ren, which you do have to unlock to be able to play with in the playset. Uh, any of the unlockable ones you can play immediately in the toy box. They also released light FX figures, basically versions of six figures that if you sit them on the Disney Infinity base to play with them in the game, it lights up their lightsabers. Uh, these were exclusive versions specific to individual retailers that are only exclusive. They will never be widely available. You must go to their individual retailers to be able to buy them, but they released uh, Anakin, Obi-Wan, Yoda, Luke, Kanan and Darth Vader that way as light FX figures. And in the game, you have what are called power discs that give you different things you can do in the toy box or give you different abilities and things that you can use while playing in the play sets. They have started to, they've gotten rid of the blind bags they used to have where you didn't know what you were buying. It was like a booster pack. Now you buy one package that comes with three, or excuse me, four specific power discs and you know what they are when you buy them. And they are themed to a particular set. So they have four power discs as a set they released for Twilight of the Republic, one for Rise Against the Empire, so four more discs there, one for The Force Awakens for a total of 12 power discs available. You also do have two new Toy Box expansions, Toy Box Takeover and Toy Box Speedway. Toy Box Takeover is like a top-down beat-em-up. Uh, Toy Box Speedway is like a Mario Kart kind of thing, a kart yeah. racer. And uh, all of those... You would actually, for the unless you're playing, again, with a digital-only version, you're actually going to get the game, but you're going to go buy figures or buy a an expansion piece to physically put on your gamepad to be able to play. It's quite a money sink, but wow, for something that was only released a few months ago, they have a lot of Star Wars content for Disney Infinity 3.0. Real quick, before I, I ask more questions, uh, explain a little bit more about the power discs, because... You know, I'm I'm kind of like, what kind of abilities does it unlock and how do you use it with the characters per se? I, sure. I'm super curious about this myself. All right. So there's different types. There are hexagonal and there are round ones, disc, actual disc ones. So let's say that I'm playing as, I don't know, say I'm playing as um, uh, Finn. 
Yeah. I can change his costume and give him a slight bonus to stats, but they don't tell you what the bonus is anywhere, but all the previous ones have had stat boost to go with it that you learned about by going, oh, look, I just read it in a guidebook or something. There just isn't <laughs> one. There isn't one for 3.0 yet. Um, so for Finn, there's a Stormtrooper costume. I, oh. So I take Finn when I have – and I put his – when I put the figure with its round base onto one of the circular spots on the – uh, on the infinity base to be able to play with yeah. it in the game. I can pick him up, stick the round disc between the pad and the figure, which rests exactly on the groove oh. in the disc. And all of a sudden, poof, he has the stormtrooper costume. Now, granted it only works for Finn that way, but assuming it has a stat increase, like all the other ones have that we just don't know specifically what it is yet. You could put that underneath any character. It's just that only Finn will change to a Stormtrooper costume. So there's those. There's costume changes. There are, speaking of also with the round discs, there are events. Like, for instance, you can stick one underneath the character, and you can have up to two stacked underneath the character at any given time, <laughs> called cool. um, Resistance Air Strike or Resistance Whatever Strike. So you stick it underneath them, and as you play, there's a little icon up in the corner that charges up, and once it's fully charged, you hit a button, I think it's down on the D-pad, and it brings down an airstrike that just blasts the hell out of it, whatever you're looking at uh, nice. in front of you. It's kind of like the she there's a, a shield helicarrier type strike back in 2.0. Then you've got your your hexagon discs. And these are things that are only usable inside the toy box. Again, that's the free for all that has no real story content to it. Uh, and those you can stack alongside other things as well on that little pad. And, for instance, you've got ones that if you're playing in the toy box, you have the terrain and the sky that you can change themes with. Like, uh, like for instance, the first pack of power discs included a theme for the sky and for the terrain for Felucia. So put oh, nice. those on there and it changes those in the toy box and you can save it that way as you're designing, you know, toy box events, uh, adventures and whatnot. And then also you have vehicles. So, like, we have the ability to play as Slave One or as a Y-Wing uh, or as the quad jumper that Ray and Finn try to take before they blow it up in <laughs> The Force Awakens. So it just kind of depends on uh, what type you've run into, but that's the way – oh, and actually there's one more type I didn't even think of. As far as those power-ups that you can use, kind of like the airstrike, there are team-up ones. There's only one so far. It's Mace Windu, but if you keep it under your character and it charges up, then when you activate it, Mace Windu hops out and he fights alongside you for a minute. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, see, I, so, you know, full disclosure, we uh, we plunged into some video gaming stuff this year. Uh, got the PlayStation 4. Uh, Christmas came along and we got the Disney Infinity. We uh, got the Anakin and Ahsoka starter kits. Uh, I got the Speedway edition. And then we got some extra figures. And then when The Force Awakens came out, we got the Poe and Finn. Uh, or we got the Finn and, and Ray. And then I got the Poe because I had to have Poe. Uh, but let me just say flat out, if you're on the fence about getting this game because you think you might uh, spend all your money, do not get it. Do yourself a favor. <laughs> this game's addicting. And that's why I was asking about the power discs. Because I'm already like Pokemon over here. Gotta catch them all. Gotta catch them all. Uh, and as Nate put it, he's already caught them all. Uh, yeah, this this is definitely a form of uh, video game crack. Uh, very addicting. Uh, but what I like about it, though, is it's allowed my PlayStation 4, in a sense, to become a Wii. Uh, and what I mean by that is I bought my Wii... 
instead of getting a PlayStation 3 or an Xbox 360. I missed out on that generation. I went with the Wii and kind of took it on the chin there because I wanted to get games like Mario Kart for my kids. Uh, My kids liked it. It was all fun and good. I had a friend that did one of these little cracks on it with a uh, Zelda game. So he was able to give me all these old burnt games and I was able to play them all. And then the Force Unleashed 2 came out. Hey, but you got to do an update before you can play it. So I hit update and bam, now my Wii is just a brick that only plays Netflix. So to have that Disney Infinity thing in the toy box and have my kids able to play this, it brings back that element of the Wii that my kids really got a kick out of that is gone now. Uh, that That mindless fun. And while I haven't played the game very much, I played it like once or twice. My kids are playing it and I actually, I have more fun watching them play it. I'm more about the figures. I'm like, dude, can I just, I want to get a shelf. I want to get them all. Like, and I'm like using that angle for my kids. Like, Hey, Jana, you should get, you should get Minnie and Elsa and Anna. And my wife's like, stop it. And I'm like, I can't help it. They're, they're cool looking. I want to get some Marvel ones. Uh, but, but the light up, that's an interesting concept because you know, I think about the Transformer toys and stuff where they've got their eyes, uh, have the plastic that go up through their head. So when the light hits, it, it looks like their eyes light up. You would have thought that would have been like a no brainer. But the fact that these ones actually light up, I, I got to find some of these, uh, especially the Vader one. I think that's the one I want to get. But but this brings me to the one pet peeve I have about this game. OK, so it seems to be that for the most part your characters are based in the genres and stuff. So you can't have Kylo Ren come back and fight Anakin in Anakin's time zone, right? Correct me Um, if I'm wrong. Sort of. In the story itself, you don't fight Anakin, so it wouldn't be within the playset anyway. But, like, say you want to play as Kylo Ren and make the hero of the prequel era that you're playing with instead of actually playing with Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, Anakin, or Yoda, you want to play with you know, Kylo Ren as the hero of the prequel era, or Kylo Ren fighting against the Empire. You can, but you have to, if you're gonna, you get all the Star Wars figures are compatible with all the different Star Wars playsets. You can play with them, but if they're not native to that one, you actually have to go and find one challenge coin with their face on it, collect it somewhere within that, that, uh, a set of maps, that playset, mm-hmm. And once you do, they're unlocked to play. And you do that for each place. So, like, you would find... And and for the villain of that particular era, you have to do that as well. The good news is it's only one coin to find. Mm-hmm. Back in 2.0, only certain characters could cross over. There's only, like, four of them that could actually cross over between the different Marvel sets. And you had to find, I think it was ten... It's like eight or ten challenge coins Ooh. for each one to be able to unlock them rather than just one. Dang! Well, so my peeve is I'm watching the video and Anakin, he's running around with Ahsoka and all of a sudden Darth Maul steps out and Anakin charges and they get a fight. And I'm like, Darth Maul, where the frack is Dooku, man? Like Dooku should be here fighting Anakin and Ahsoka, not Darth Maul. What the hell? Like that really threw me off. And it's like that aspect of, well, you got to go and hunt down these coins. Like why is Dooku not the choice villain? Why are we going with Darth Maul? I mean, Darth Maul shouldn't be existing in this time frame looking the way he's looking. It just drives me nuts. The continuity part side of me is just like banging my head on a desk. <laughs> well, the good news is they are all non-canon, so there's no need. Just wait till you try Rise Against the Empire because you start out on the Tantive Four and all the heroes are already together on the Tantive Four. They don't even try uh. to make this canonical. And the way that uh, Pablo Hidalgo has put it to me is that it's not meant to be. 
This is literally your toys all playing together. So these are not characters. These are toys. Think of this sort of as the Star Wars version of Toy Story, more or less. Um, But fun to play. It can get expensive fairly quickly unless you get deals on them. The figures tend to be between $10 and $15 each. The power disc packs tend to be $10 for four power discs, but granted, there's only a few of them. And uh, the playset packs, because you have to have a playset piece to play in a particular playset, like Twilight of the Republic, Rise Against the Empire of the Force Awakens, that come with two figures as well, tend to run anywhere between 20 and 30 depending on where you're getting them. So once you buy that base game, you can play, but you've only got Anakin, Ahsoka, and the playset piece. If you bought the cheapest one, you are going to wind up probably buying more stuff over time. But at least it lets you choose who you're going to play with. It's not like you got to buy a package that has all these figures in it for a crazy price, and you don't know which ones you're ever going to use. You do at least pick and choose and buy them individually in most cases. Speaking of lots of buying options, of course, there's the biggest video game of 2015 for Star Wars, which is the reboot, Star Wars Battlefront. Star Wars Battlefront was available as a regular version for Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and for PC. There's also a deluxe edition that gives you early unlocks of a few things, like the the DL-44 blaster and a couple of emotes and whatnot, things like that. You also, this year, had a release of a new PlayStation 4 bundle, which was a PlayStation 4 with a Darth Vader on it that came with the deluxe edition. It also came with a Vader-themed controller that supposedly has been released separately also at Walmart, though I have yet to actually see it separately at Walmart myself. Turtle Beach accompanied this with a couple of exclusive Star Wars headsets. There's an X-Wing one. There's a limited edition Sand Trooper one. They also have a companion app at this point, which is free, that includes a built-in game called Base Command. Speaking of free, they released the Battle of Jakku DLC, downloadable content add-on for free, which introduced a new mode called Turning Point into the game, and two new maps on Jakku, a large one and a small one. They also have a $50 season pass that is already available that will contain the upcoming four DLC packs for the game at somewhat of a controversial price point. So lots and lots of different, oh, and I guess I should mention, there's also a uh, guide to the book that has a regular and limited edition. I, of course, bought the limited collector's edition of that one. So Battlefront is finally out there. Uh, I will say that for my part, I have the deluxe edition, uh, because I didn't buy the bundle. I've already got a PS4. So deluxe edition, Limited edition Sand Trooper headset. I do have the Battle of Jakku DLC. I do have the Season Pass. I do use the Companion app. I have the Collector's Edition version of the guide. And I do Battlefront live streams, what I call the Battlefront live stream podcast, on my YouTube channel every so often, where we just talk Star Wars in general while playing Battlefront. Mark actually was a an early guest on that. So, Battlefront is here. Two mixed reviews. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I went looking for the deluxe edition with the Darth Vader packaging and all that. Very hard to find. Couldn't do it. Had to go with the standard build. <sighs> Found out why I wanted the deluxe edition as I got schooled over and over again by everybody with their TL forty fours. You know, it's a very fun game. Um, I'm enjoying it. There are some frustrations, uh, especially if you played Battlefront one and Battlefront two, and possibly even the two handheld ones uh, on the PlayStation Portable and stuff. Uh I, I just go back and forth. There's some so many aspects of the other games that I wish they would have incorporated. Like, I always liked being able to lie down 
that was a Battlefront 1 thing that they took away. Uh, you had the tuck and roll option, I think, was in Battlefront 2 where you did like a dive kind of thing that's gone now the spawn points I don't like the way it spawns uh you know the whole aspect of no four player mode you know that gaming system days of the Nintendo 64 where four people sat down and played on one system being gone still a learning curve for me on that I'm kind of like on the fence there not sure how I feel about that uh but I finally got to the point where I got my DL44 so all the all the blaster weapons that I can earn I've unlocked for the most part, although now I guess uh, two more opened up or something. There's a, a Wookiee blaster that I got to earn an insane amount to get to. Uh, but yeah, that's where I'm at now. I feel like I'm at that grind point where uh, it's just taking so long to get into it. But I will say though, the uh, the Starfighter combat, which I don't know, can you call it Starfighter when you're not really out in space? Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I find as much as I love X wings again with the a wings, I do so much better. I love, uh, as we were talking on, on your podcast one time, uh, I like trolling people on that game. Apparently, uh, to, to get my skills better, I would take the first person that would kill me. And then I would hunt them down mercilessly over and over again, uh, until I was done for the day <laughs> until they quit. Cause I was just, I got to that point where I was like, I, if I played any other time when I was on the field, bam, dead, bam, dead, bam, dead. But in the Starfighter ships, I'm flying around shooting people. So I'm like, hey, turnabout's fair game. <laughs> That's funny. Mark and I were playing the, just the other day, and it was him and me playing. And I said it was him, me, and uh, for a while there was Bobby Craig from the old Simple Tricks and Nonsense podcast and the current uh, Dynamite Bunny podcast. But we weren't live streaming or anything. And we were going after spe some specific people until eventually it got to the point where there was one other player that was in the matches with us constantly. And we're like, he got the Millennium Falcon. It's OK because it's him. And, oh, yeah. and, and oh, yeah, way to go. You killed the guy that we were going after. Way to go. It's almost like there was a third member who didn't realize they were part of that vendetta. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, go, Eric, go. Kill him. Yeah. Kill that guy. <laughs> so, I mean, this is an interesting game. It is. Gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. Graphically speaking, it is the most advanced Star Wars game we have ever seen. And it is a first-person or third-person shooter, depending on your choice. You do get to choose between the two. I find that it's a very shallow game. Uh, there's no story mode to speak of whatsoever. The single-player slash co-op options that you have, and thankfully the co-op does allow for split-screen co-op in the same place, as opposed to the multiplayer, which does not. But your... Your single-player slash co-op content is relatively sh it's very shallow. There's battles, hero battles, which are essentially the same thing. You just use the hero characters, uh, Luke, Han, Leia, or the villains, uh, Vader, Palpatine, and Boba Fett. And then there's survival, which is like horde mode, basically. Beyond that, the entire game is centered around the multiplayer. In fact, you can't even gain experience towards the multiplayer by playing any of the single-player co-op. You can just gain some credits towards buying stuff for multiplayer. So eventually the single-player co-op stuff becomes even more useless to you. Uh, the multiplayer included nine modes at the start. Cargo, which is basically capture the flag. Supremacy, which is uh, capturing multiple control points and holding them uh, at, in one massive map. Walker Assault, which is specific to Star Wars, which is basically the Empire has Imperial Walkers heading towards a particular point, and before they get there, the Rebels have to capture and hold these uh, basically specific control points, and every time a specific amount of time passes that they've controlled it, they get a Y-Wing 
to add to the bombing run. And there are three specific bombing run points. And each Y-Wing is basically an amount of time that the AT-AT is actually, or the AT-AT is actually vulnerable. So the more you get, the more AT-ATs you have. You hit one of those points. The Rebels then use ion weapons and heavy weapons and whatnot to try to bring down the walkers. Some of the maps have two walkers. Some have one. Just depends on which map you're on. And the, and you can also, when they're vulnerable, you can take down an AT-AT with a, uh, an, an air speeder, a snow speeder. I've actually managed to do that twice now, once while remote playing on the Vita, which was a bitch and a half. Uh, the, the thing about it, though, it, it's funny because that mode was extremely imbalanced in the beta because nobody really knew how to take down the walkers and to coordinate. So the Empire won basically 99% of all the games. Now it's the opposite because everybody knows how to take them down, I find that probably a good 80% of the time the imp or the uh, the rebels are winning in Walker Assault. But at least it's novel to Star Wars. You have Blast, which is basically team deathmatch. Droid Run, which is another uh, capture points thing. You're trying to capture three moving points, though. Three droids. The first yeah. team to capture all three at the same time wins. I hate that mode. It's, oh, it's so much fun. God, it, but it's frustrating because most of the time people aren't playing the objective and you're like, hell with it. So really only who controls them the last 10 seconds of a match is only what matters. Um, <laughs> whoever's controlling the most in that last 10 seconds, you might as well not even play the rest of the match unless people are actually playing the the uh, uh, the objective. Same thing with, with cargo. Cargo annoys the hell out of me too. Um, you had Fighter Squadron, which is flying in atmosphere, fighting based on the way that, for instance, in The Force Awakens, there's not space battles for the most part. It's all flying in atmosphere, uh, but it's fairly limited. You, If you're the Empire, you have a TIE Fighter or a TIE Interceptor, or if you pick up the Hero power-up, you can play as Slave 1. For the Rebels, you've got an X-Wing or an A-Wing. If you pick up the power-up, you have the Millennium Falcon. I've got really good at picking up the power-ups recently. Um, Drop Zone is basically... a uh, capturing individual specific points and holding them for a specific amount of time uh, as as these basically escape pods crash down. Heroes versus Villains gives you a six-on-six six match, three of you as regular soldiers, three of you as those heroes or villains that I mentioned, and it's sort of a three strikes you're out. Whichever side takes out all of the heroes or villains on the other side first gets a point. First team to get to five points wins. Good chance to give you a chance to play as the heroes if you have trouble getting those hero power-ups in the other modes. And then Hero Hunt, which is basically, you've got seven, I think it is, regular people playing as soldiers and one person playing as a hero or villain. Whoever kills that hero or villain becomes them the next time around. And then it keeps going and going and going like that. And the only kills that count are while you are the hero or the villain. So whoever is the hero or villain the most often or the longest is likely to be the one that wins. Uh, they did eventually introduce Turning Point as a new mode with the Battle of Jakku stuff. And that is essentially, it's another sort of capture and hold type of thing where you're capturing certain points to progress the stages of a battle until it gets to the last stage. And each stage of the battle lasts only, I think it's like five minutes, where you have a timer on how long you have to capture the next control point before the timer then resets for you or if it runs out the enemy automatically wins. So there are different modes. A lot of them are basically modes you would see in other games just reskinned. It is using the Frostbite 3 engine that is used for, uh, for instance, Battlefield 4, so it has the drawbacks of that uh, to go with it. Not a lot of customization that you can do. I have at this point unlocked every star card. I've unlocked every uh, blaster that can be used, and I have basically just five more levels to go. I'm level 45 to be able to unlock the the really swanky 
things that you can do as from a status standpoint when it comes to the different uh, uh, costumes you can have. But for the most part, not a lot of, it's, there's not a lot of depth in the customization of this one, and there's no class system to it. So, and to get a hero, you don't earn it, you just find a power-up on, on the battlefield. So think of this as, what if Battlefront, as a concept, was applied to a game that's more like Battlefield? You ripped out all the story content, and you dumbed it down to make it more for casual gamers, and yet still made it a grind because the progression system in terms of XP and in terms of points and experience is so slow that on the double points weekend, it feels normal like it should be. And any other time, it feels like a slog. It's entertaining, fun to play, not sure how much staying power it has, and it definitely was not the game I was hoping for when they would eventually bring back the Battlefront franchise. Well, when they introduced Turning Point, I think one of the things I like about that is, you know, you've got uh, four, I think, stage points and the Empire's on one side, you know, your left hand side and, and the Rebels are on the right hand side. And as the Rebels are pushing the Empire back, unlike with Supremacy, the Empire can't regain that ground. Once that ground is lost, it's lost. Uh, and I, I thought that was a kind of a cool concept, but it made me think about the download content in a different way. I mean... You know, we're getting additional levels to the game, different versions of modes, things like that. And I was thinking, like, what also could they give us? Could they give us a story content mode down the road? Uh, you know, and, and I'm wondering that because, again, this whole concept of games where there are download content levels, characters, and all this stuff, that's new to me. So, you know, we've got this aspect where I'm like, okay, how much of this stuff are they going to give us in the download content versus... This is now a game that that people are saying we're going to see a, a new Battlefront every year or every two years. So, you know, how much of that stuff will they give us in the download content versus putting it in the next game? Uh, you know, there's a part of me that's like, OK, I like the fact there's no story mode with most of this. If they were going to give us the next game that was all story mode uh, kind of thing and do a back and forth where you get one that's more multiplayer, one that's more story driven. And if you're getting them like every two years, that would be a, a decent enough trade off that I think that might work. But. I don't think we've gotten any word as to what's coming down the line and especially with the download content, what to expect. Uh, we do know that we're not going to be seeing any of the force awakens material in this game. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious as to what the future has in store for this franchise. And by that, I mean the battlefront franchise, because it's definitely a franchise that the fans have wanted to see. Uh, and while we have it, there's still a lot of things that we still want to see from a battlefront game that this game didn't quite provide. So I, I, I wonder, you know, does EA, are they paying attention to that? Are they planning for that? Are they planning to fix that? Uh, you know, and, and then we've got those two options. It's either going to be in the download content or in the next version of the game. But I definitely think they've got to get some kind of story mode back. I mean, the whole back and forth being on the rebel side to the empire and back and forth. That's one of those things that bothers me too, because star Wars has always been about choose your faction. And it's like, well, I can't because as soon as I die and we start the next level, I'm going to be on the opposite side. Like if I'm a diehard Imperial, I don't want to play for the rebels. You know, I want to be on the empire side. I want the shiny armor. Uh, so that that's something that I'm getting used to because constantly my son's my wingman going, you're shooting the wrong guys because I'm shooting the wrong guys. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm not an X-Wing anymore. I've, I've, I'm in a TIE fighter. Whoopsie. Yeah, every match you switch between 
Rebel and Imperial, and the matches tend to be paired. So, for instance, like, if I'm playing, I don't know, let's say I'm playing Walker Assault as the Rebels this time, with, you know, however many other people, like 20 other players, right? Then, next match, unless somebody leaves that match, all 20 of us who were on the Rebel side are now, in the next match, on the Imperial side, and we're on the exact same map as we were last time, so it's kind of like an automatic rematch of, let's see who's really top dog. Can you really win on both sides on the same map kind of a thing? But it means that sometimes when you run into challenges, like for Fighter Squadron, you know, uh, it's destroy 15, or get 15 kills with a TIE Fighter. That means that unless you want to have every other match be completely useless to you for the challenge you're on, you're constantly backing out of matches and coming back in trying to wind up on the side that you want to actually be playing on for that challenge as you go, which is kind of annoying. I see why they did it, but also kind of annoying. Uh, Regarding what Mark said about you know the Force Awakens content? Yes, they said that all the DLC coming for this is going to stay original trilogy. I know there are those who'd be like, wait a second, Jakku is not an original trilogy. But the Battle of Jakku was only a year after Return of the Jedi. So it is still that era. Um, as far as uh, the, the idea of yearly installments, they have said that that's kind of what they're doing. I don't expect to see story content in any of the DLCs. Uh, but hopefully in the future, uh, this is basically Star Wars Call of Duty or Star Wars Battlefield or, or Star Wars Madden. We're apparently going to have yearly or or every two-year iterations of the game that hopefully will bring in story, because Call of Duty, Battlefield, those games do have story. Um, This game, not so much. I mean, I kind of feel like, I mean, Bombad Racing back in the day had more story than this game does. I mean, if you really want Star Wars story, you're going to need to play basically Uprising. Or if you don't care about it being a canonical story, play Disney Infinity 3.0. That is not what this game is built around. This game is built around multiplayer grind. So if you don't like multiplayer shooters, this is not the game for you. But if you do, it it gets the Star Wars atmosphere right. It just doesn't give us all the things we necessarily want. I know we've, we've kind of belabored the point. So, other games. Non. Non-video games. All of these, of course, coming from Fantasy Flight games. And aside from the announcement of a new game called Rebellion that is not out yet, which is a board game, they have continued with the product lines we've seen in the past from them. For the RPG line, for you may recall that they split it into three different uh, product lines as part of a broader product line, sort of sub-series. So in the Star Wars RPG line that's all compatible with each other, you have... Edge of the Empire that focuses on sort of the fringes of society. Age of Rebellion that focuses on the conflict between the Rebels and the Empire. And then Force and Destiny, which is the one that brings in, you know, potential Jedi and a lot of Force use and things like that. So for the first one that they released, Edge of the Empire, we only had a few this time. We had Lords of Nalhutta, Fly Casual, and Mask of the Pirate Queen, which is an adventure. For Age of Rebellion, we had Stay on Target, Desperate Allies, Onslaughted Arda 1, also an adventure, and Strongholds of Resistance. The others are just source books. And then the big news this year was that Force and Destiny was finally released. We had the beginner game, a core rulebook, a game master kit, Chronicles of the Gatekeeper, which is an adventure, and a source book called Keeping the Peace. In particular, I found that this was interesting because... One of the things that changes between the different 
sub-series is whether you have obligation to someone who's like a crime lord and you have a debt to pay off, whether you have a duty in Age of Rebellion, which is sort of what your idealistic goal is. And in Force and Destiny, you essentially have a morality system that instead of it just being, here's what you're trying to do and that should sort of guide your character, you actually have sort of a strength and weakness Things that are your emotional, moral strength that you're trying to do, but also built into that a weakness that can help drive you towards the dark side and some really cool mechanics about falling to the dark side, redemption. Uh, I would certainly say that Force and Destiny nails everything. It is absolutely, if you're going to be playing this, the one that you should probably be playing unless you just don't care about playing as Jedi or Sith. It is a fascinating series with dice that help because of the way that they work, to drive the story, not just be about stats. That's always been the allure of these games. Granted, I've got almost all the RPG books from the early Wizards of the Coast days and stuff, but I've never played an RPG game of that game with anyone. Uh, so it's definitely one of those things, like, I always seek it out for the information in it. Uh, so it's definitely one of those aspects, like, I like that they keep putting these kind of things out, but it's just not really my cup of tea. Uh, I definitely like getting it, though, because they have some of the most interesting tidbits. I'm I'm curious if, like, some of the magazines and stuff, like, we'll get stories and games and stuff that will be exclusive to this, that this will be the only way to find it out. Uh, and I'm okay with that. I think that's kind of a cool way to go about making people want to learn you know, the different stuff, but it, it's that era of, you know, we're kind of all waiting, you know, we get statements from Pablo, like with the toy box and, and, you know, infinity is like, Oh, it's just your toys. But you know, people are like, Hey, this stuff's supposed to matter too. Right. Like they're like waiting for the conflict of interest kind of thing going, see, it's not going to line up. Like, <laughs> so it's like, these things are like, how, how on point are they, Nate? Like, are they really sticking to their guns here? Or are they just kind of going off into infinity's territory? Well, these books are kind of weird. They are games, which basically mean that they are checked for authenticity rather than being checked for one continuity or another. They were When these games were first released, the only continuity that existed was what we think of as Legends now. So they very closely adhered to that. What we're seeing now is a weird mixture. Tons and tons of Legends information... And they even mention that within one of the books. They, they flat out say, I think it's a Force and Destiny core rulebook, that basically says, you know, this draws from you know, X, Y, and Z, so it's not necessarily canon. There's this rich, expanded universe out there that we're also using, that kind of thing, and that you could also use if you wanted to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you'll see, for instance, references to a bunch of legend stuff, but then also a reference in the same book to Lothal, or a, a ship profile for the type of ship that the ghost is, and that sort of thing. Um, probably most interesting on this is they just released that uh, Age of Rebellion book, that's a source book of different plant planets in the Rebel Alliance and different hidden bases for them called nice. Strongholds of the Resistance. But its information on Sullust is directly contradicted in Battlefront Twilight Company. And I think there's another item in there that's also contradicted. So it seems as though right now, unless it just slipped past somebody, they seem like they're still leaning Legends. So like when I summarize them for the Star Wars timeline gold, I'm still putting them on the Legends timeline because otherwise... There's a lot of stuff that legends pin down as origins of places and locations like Sullust and when they got free of the Empire and all that kind of stuff that is set in stone if they're throwing these into canon. 
that perhaps other canon storytellers are going to wind up trying to to tell later. So mm. yeah, they're 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 weird at this point. Almost, but they don't have the legends label on them, which is what confuses people. Kind of like the old republic. Yeah, it's almost like it needs an infinities label then, because in a sense, it's both and neither. Kind of, yeah, but then it's it's the same thought process as like uh, Battlefront in a sense. Battlefront isn't in any particular continuity. The book Battlefront, Twilight Company, is canon, but the game is just kind of there. I mean, it's sort of treated similarly to, you know, well, it's it's just your toys playing against each other with Disney Infinity 3.0. I will say that this is a cool product line. It's probably the best Star Wars RPG we've ever seen, uh, and that's even compared to the West End games. Saga. I mean, this is really, really good stuff, and the mechanics are fantastic, but it's also kind of expensive. I'm only able to pick up all of these books as they come out, get the information for the timeline, and do a video review of them, each one as they come out, by basically splitting the cost. I have them come to me. I pay the miniature market price plus shipping, which is basically winds up being about the retail price. It comes to me. I use the info for the timeline. I do a video review, but then I send it off to Joseph Clock, who's a buddy of mine, uh, who winds up giving me basically half the cost plus a little bit for shipping. And we're basically splitting the price of it in the long run, but he's the one that actually keeps them, but I get a chance to use them for my purposes without them having to take up space on the shelves. It, they can be, like the core rule book for any of these games, I want to say is $60 just for the core rule book. And then your source books... Depending on what they are, sources or adventures tend to run anywhere between 20 and 40, depending on which they are. Uh, speaking of Fantasy Flight games, another game before we get to the miniatures is the LCG, or Living Card Game, Star Wars The Card Game. The idea is that you're not buying booster packs to get random cards. You buy a starter set or a force pack, which are part of these cycles of six, or you pick up a deluxe expansion, but whatever you're picking up, you always know exactly what cards you're getting because it's the same cards no matter what. If I buy uh, a ready-for-takeoff force pack one day and then buy it again the next day and buy it again a week from now, exact same cards every single time. So you know what you are getting, thank goodness. It's a much more cost-effective way of playing a collectible card game. On the other hand, it does mean that the the random surprise of, oh, looky, when I get a... a uh, Booster Pack is gone from this type of game, but I'm okay with that. This year, we had the entire Rogue Squadron cycle of Force Packs. So six Force Packs focused on Rogue Squadron as a theme, which means uh, the introduction, in this case, of the pilot mechanic into the game. We had the Force Packs ready for takeoff, draw their fire, evasive maneuvers, attack run, chain of command, and jump to light speed. We had a new deluxe expansion called Imperial Entanglements, and then we had... A new cycle begin, but we've only had one force pack from it so far, called Solo's Command, or excuse me, the, the pack is called Solo's Command. The cycle is called the Indoor Cycle, and this introduced the mission mechanic, which, if you're familiar with the game, is like objectives, except you play them onto the other person's side, so you can sort of control what objectives are sitting over there, uh, and also introduced the idea of actually naming the factions as factions to help have new card mechanics that reference those. So it was not a huge year for the LCG, but a deluxe expansion, a full force pack cycle, and the beginning of a new one, it's certainly a steady year for the LCG. 
EA card games. Uh, you know, not really playing on that one myself. I'm surprised. It seems like each year there's more games, so that's kind of nice. Uh, I like the fact that they're adding so many to these. We've had this now, what, three years we've had these type of games out? Probably even longer in different incarnations. But it's nice that they're putting out a whole bunch. Again, it's not my cup of tea. I don't have time really to, to play any more card games beyond Magic the Gathering. And even that, I don't have time to. I only wish, and, I've, and I say this every year, I only wish there was a digital version of this game because I love trading card games. I rarely get a chance to actually play them with another human being. Uh, in this case, my wife is not a huge player of them, but we've played Star Wars a few times. Uh, I would love to have a digital version of this game somehow to play, but of course, because of the way the Star Wars game licensing works, that's not going to happen. All we have is that really, really horrific, whatever it was even called, Force whatever, that came out as a an app that's just freaking terrible. So unfortunately, if we're going to play it, we got to play it with the actual cards. I've collected all of them, huge binder, but haven't had a chance to play nearly as often as I would like. That brings us to the miniatures games, and this is where, if you are collecting them all from Fantasy Flight Games, you're going to go broke throughout the course of 2015. Oh boy, was there a lot, and I did pick them all up. Uh, there is one pet peeve we'll talk about when we talk about X-Wing, so let's start away from X-Wing. Starting with the one that actually deals with miniatures that work on an actual game board that you build, or a game map that you build out of map tiles that are characters rather than ships, we have Imperial Assault. Imperial Assault had had its initial core set released last year, back in 2014. In 2015, we saw several waves of expansions and an interesting thing they were doing with it. We had the Dice Pack, which is just a set of extra dice, of course, just like the other Fantasy Flight games games have tended to have. We had new miniature releases for Han Solo. And understand that an ally or a villain pack for miniatures means a miniature or multiple miniatures plus the cards to use them, plus other cards that do things like give you more rewards within the game, new skirmish missions you can play and things. So getting a, a pack with a miniature for any of these games actually doesn't just mean, hey, here's a little miniature and that's it. There's game materials that come with it to work with the miniature. So we had for Imperial Assault, Han Solo, Chewbacca, Royal Guard Champion, IG-88, Rebel Saboteurs, Rebel Troopers, and General Weiss, which was this big dude inside an ATST. And then we had the first big expansion called Twin Shadows that included new missions, new map tiles, new campaign stuff. And then along with that, new packs with R2-D2 and C-3PO as a set. Then Kane Somos and Boba Fett and Stormtroopers, Hired Guns, Wookiee Warriors. Now we have the newest deluxe expansion just released called Return to Hoth. Again, more missions and such with Echo Base Troopers, Leia Organa, Dengar, and General Soren. Lots and lots and lots of these. The core set last year was $100. Twin Shadows is $40. The uh, uh, Return to Hoth set is $60. And then all the different other figures just depends on how many miniatures are in it. That's what determines what the cost of those are. They do get pretty expensive fairly quickly. These are unpainted Miniatures, if you like to paint them. The interesting thing they did with this, though, is you buy an expansion. So either the core set originally or this year's or 2015's Twin Shadows or Return to Hoth. And let's take Return to Hoth as an example. You buy that set, and it comes with a ton of miniatures for different characters you can play within the game. And any miniature has a deployment card with it that has all of its stats on it so you can play. If you get the deployment card, you get the figure, and it fits the scenario based on its rules. You can play with it. 
What's interesting to me is that a set like that will come with a ton of miniatures and stuff like Wampas and Snowtroopers and whatnot, but then there'll also be a handful of characters where they're giving you a deployment card to be able to play with them, but instead of a miniature, they're giving you a token, a little cardboard token to use for that character. Then, the different expansions released at the same time, the different miniature packs, will be for those specific token characters. So, like, in Return to Hoth, you've got Leia Organa's deployment cards and a token to represent her. Or you could also buy the Leia Organa ally pack that has a Leia miniature in it, duplicates of those cards, and then all kinds of other game material with it. So it's sort of this weird thing where you can look at it two different ways. Either you can look at it as, wow, they're screwing us because here's, for instance, the Echo Base Troopers, Leia, Dengar, and General Soren, who are in Return to Hoth, but they're only giving us stupid little tokens. If they want us to get the miniatures, we gotta go buy them separately. What a bunch of jerks. Or... You can look at it as, wow, they gave us Return to Hoth, and instead of just leaving out Echo Base Troopers, Leia, Dengar, and Soren, they're giving us those. They're just doing it in a cost-effective, cheaper way, and if we want to buy the expansions, we can, but if we don't, we can still play as those characters because we've got the tokens and the cards to go with them in the expansion. It's this weird thing where every single individual miniature pack that they have released for Imperial Assault with the exception so far of Hired Guns and Wookiee Warriors, every other one has been simply a miniature and stuff to replace a token that you already have if you bought the most recent of the boxed sets. It is an odd, I think, user-slash-consumer-friendly way of doing a miniatures game, but it's certainly not a model of production I've ever seen before. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. This one's got that Warhammer feel. Uh, you know, I I'm not that into the characters that I gotta paint myself. Like, I'm not that good at staying in the lines on a coloring book, and these little figures are tiny. So uh yeah, not really one of those things. But I know a lot of people that they, they like the Warhammer and stuff, and, and this would definitely be right up their alley. So if if you like Warhammer, you might want to check this game out. Yeah, I feel like it's a much slower paced type game than the other Mentors Game Fantasy Flight games has out. They are unpainted. Mine are all still unpainted because I'm like you. I'm not good at painting miniatures. I just, I, it's not my thing. I've done a demo game for this up on the YouTube channel. It's interesting though. I think the coolest thing about Imperial Assault is that it is, it is campaign based. You can play skirmishes, which are just like quick jump in and play type games. But if you play the campaign, different side missions come up. The results of different missions lead you to different missions. And as you play, you grow and you get more upgrades and stuff to your characters and you get new allies to add in if you happen to own those. So it's kind of cool in that you may start at a very basic level on the first mission, but by the time you get several missions down the road, you get a lot bigger arsenal, so to speak, to play with. And I always thought that that was kind of a a cool way of approaching it. It's also designed for more than two players. You can play with two but it can, it's designed in such a way that you could theoretically play with like five players. One is the Empire and then four heroes at once. And it still works out very well. I thought that that was kind of an interesting way to do it. But it is, it, it feels like from a rule standpoint and what, and it's a much more involved game than the other ones are. Speaking of the others, we had a brand new one released this year. When X-Wing came out in the past, it was about Starfighter combat 
And people thought, well, what about capital ships? Are we ever going to see a Star Destroyer or an X-Wing? No, because it'd be the size of your table. But what if you scale it differently and all of a sudden something that is regular sized, decent miniature sized, is a basic capital ship and your starfighters are teeny tiny instead? That's basically the concept of Armada. It is capital ship combat, essentially, and it began in 2015 with a massive core set that came with the Corellian Corvette, Nebulon B frigate, and a Victory Class Star Destroyer. Then you had the first wave of expansions to go with it, which included a Victory Class Star Destroyer, Nebulon B, and Corellian Corvette. Again, same miniatures you got in the core set, just with new cards and new pilots and such that you can use to go with them. Plus, the Fighter Squadrons expansion, which gives you... This game has basically little teeny tiny fighter squadrons you can use in conjunction with the capital ships that are like a little tiny miniature of like an X-Wing, along with a few more of them put onto these little teeny tiny pegs that you can play with. It also included the Assault Frigate Mark II, uh, the Gladiator class Star Destroyer. You have the dice pack. You have a maneuver tool, which is the maneuvering tool you use to figure out where your ships are going. They just basically released one where you can get one as a spare, so you can have two of them, one for each player as you're playing. And then we got another big wave recently that included an Imperial class Star Destroyer that's even bigger. Home One, the MC-30C Mon Calamari Cruiser, the Imperial Raider, which is an original ship they actually created... Uh, as a parallel of like a Corellian Corvette thing that actually was created for X-Wing. Now they have a, an Armada version of it. And the Rogues and Villains basically fighter squadron pack, which are, again, those teeny, teeny, tiny miniatures. But now it's miniatures of things like a YT-1300 freighter, uh, the Havoc from Starfighter, that sort of thing. So Armada really got rolling this year with quite a few products, given that it is a new game for 2015. Uh, of all these games, I think next to the X-Wing miniatures themselves, this is probably the one that I drool the most over when I'm in the comic shop. Uh, the price tag, though, is enough to make me balk. I, I turn, I walk away. That's uh, it's a high dollar. And I go back and forth. I mean, it, it's they're glorious. They are glorious. So on one hand, I'm like, yeah, they're worth the price. <laughs> but the other, I'm like... Oh my God, Nate, how can you afford this, man? I mean, you're going to lose like a long at some point. You're going to need this money, man. <laughs> like these ships are so damn cool. Uh, and, and that's where I'm just conflicted. The price tag is worth the look of these ships, the size of these ships. Uh, I, I just, I just can't fathom it. I mean, I, I, I didn't think I'd be able to afford a PlayStation four and, and all the infinity stuff. So chunking down on that like i really don't think i'm going to get to armada anytime soon and the downside for me is i have to justify these expenses with the family you know i mean a playstation 4 getting these games for everybody is a lot easier than getting armada because my son and me are about the only two that would play armada uh so i i can't i can't justify that price tag but man oh if any game system out there that i would love to would be this you guys all know i love the diecast and these ships being scale that's a glorious aspect of the ship collecting that you really don't get when it comes to titanium and micro machines. They say scale, but not to each other. Yeah, I will say that the, 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 for full disclosure here, I'm the one who, out of me and my wife, my income is a bit higher because uh, I've been doing it longer. And though I'm the one who kind of handles most of the bills, the way that it works usually is that she essentially is giving me a certain amount of month per like out of her checks. We don't have a joint account because she's gone through so much identity theft. It's it's 
too dangerous to do that. So most of the bills come out of my account and my pay, and then she handles uh, like her car payment and insurance and things like that that help defray the costs and whatnot. So every month I'm doing a bunch of budgeting in Microsoft Money, and I'm fortunate in that I've got enough disposable income beyond the the various you know expenses that we have that if I'm careful. I can set aside a little bit each month that becomes sort of like the Star Wars games fund. And then when new Star Wars stuff comes up, I put that money towards it so it's already built into the budget and it doesn't feel like when it's released, where am I going to get the money from? It's it's very much a plan ahead kind of game. Otherwise, there's no way I'd be able to pull it off. And there is a sacrifice to it in that my wife and I, we just aren't because of our schedules and because of the type of people we are, we're not really sort of the flamboyant, go out and do a bunch of stuff. We don't do a lot of frivolous spending out and things. So this becomes sort of our version of, hey, let's splurge on this thing over here. Or let's splurge on this thing over here. It's a little more controlled in that sense. Uh, speaking of miniatures games, though, and Mark referenced it, we have X-Wing. The X-Wing miniatures game began... Quite a while ago, actually, but we had quite a few new releases in this year, including one that had me virtually pulling my hair out because of the way that they handled it. We have new releases of the MA-3 Interceptor, the Star Viper. That's the same ship that Shizor used in Shadows of the Empire. We have the IG-2000. We have a pack called the Most Wanted Pack, which introduced a new faction into the game. Before then, it was Rebel Alliance and Imperial that entered the Scum and Villainy faction into the game. We had new playmats released after Most Wanted, uh, basically the right size to play a regular game of X-Wing. One has a Death Star design on it, one is just a Starfield. Both are overpriced. We had a new large ship released, which was the Imperial Raider. They designed it just for X-Wing to be a counterpoint to the Corellian Corvette. It did find its way, as I mentioned, into Armada. It's pretty cool, but mine had some issues with it. I had to sort of bend pieces back into the right shape. They then had releases of the Houndstooth, a Kirax Fighter, TIE Punisher, and the K-Wing. Then came Force Friday with a brand new core set that's basically... Mostly the same type of content you got in the original core set with updated rules with all the errata and stuff and new rules that have been added by expansions over time. A few new type tokens. And instead of including one T-65 X-Wing from the Rebellion era and two regular TIE Fighters from the Rebellion era, TIE slash LNs, it includes a T-70 X-Wing from The Force Awakens and two First Order TIE Fighters from The Force Awakens, which is pretty cool. And then since then, we've seen uh, a new separate release of the T-70X-Wing and the TIE-FO, or the First Order TIE Fighter, so you can add new pilots and such. Because again, anytime you get a miniature, even if it's one that you got in the core set, it's a new miniature plus a bunch of new cards that weren't in the core set. And just recently, the release of another large Imperial ship, the Imperial Assault Carrier, from basically Star Wars Rebels. The thing that pissed me off this year about this is how they handled that new core set. Fantasy Fight Games is very strong when it comes to supporting local gaming stores. Uh, favorite local games, FLGS, favorite local game store, game shop. And generally, it's nice to be able to see that those stores are getting support so they can order these miniatures and keep them in their store. You don't have to go to a place like Miniature Market like I do, because there just isn't a store that carries these reliably like right around my area within easy driving distance. But most people can just go into one of the game stores, pick it up, 
they're good to go. Or order it through the game store and support the local business. Then came Force Friday. Leading into Force Friday, they didn't talk about the new core set at all. There had been some game testing actually done in the Atlanta area for that game. And eventually, there were leaked pictures of that new core set, of the new ships, of the new cards, of the new packaging. And even when that was released online, Fantasy Flight Games tried to get people to take them down. It was basically like, uh, nothing to see here. Doesn't exist. Don't know what you're talking about. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And then on Force Friday, they released it without any official announcement that it existed, without any announcement of where to find it, because not everywhere had it. I found mine at Target. And without, since they hadn't officially announced it ever, without allowing local game stores to buy them and keep them in stock ahead of time. Oh, God. So all of a sudden, local game stores were completely f***ed. Pardon my French. They were completely screwed because when it came out, there was this furor over trying to get our hands on it. You and t- Literally, how did I know where to buy it? Because Michael Morris was at a Target already in line for Force Friday before I went to get in line on Force Friday. That was the only thing I was trying to make sure I got on Force Friday, by the way, that I w- wanted to be at the right store to get. And he saw them sitting on the shelves and sent me a picture of it saying, go to Target, that's where you'll find them. Nice. So we went to our local Target. Um, there was this huge furor to try to get them, and people were snatching them up and buying like two or three and putting them on eBay because they were so hard to find and whatnot. And then, after Force Friday... Actually, on Force Friday, they finally announced it on their website. And after Force Friday, yeah, the local game stores could buy them and start putting them in stock. But after that point, the big furor of the big push of the hardcore X-Wing fans trying to get them, all that money went to the big box stores like Target, not to the local game stores. The local game stores got completely screwed. And I don't know whose fault it is. I don't know if this was... Fantasy Flight Games not being allowed to talk about it, or if it was their idea to make it a surprise for Force Friday. But either way, it screwed a lot of players and all the local game stores the way they handled the release of that new core set. It's a fantastic product, but boy, did they screw up the release. Yeah, talk about dropping the ball for the community. I mean, and and that's a community that gives back to your franchise. Uh, you know, again, this is another one of those series that I would love to get uh, the Thai Punisher. Oh, my God, that looks glorious. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm desperately afraid of these ships, man. I'm afraid once they drop the price down to a range where I'm like, oh, 15 bucks ain't so bad. Uh, I'm afraid that I'm going to well, be just deep. You realize that an individual ship tends to be around 15 bucks unless you're buying the large ones like the Millennium Falcon pack or the Slave 1 pack or or a Corellian Corvette or something. The small ones like the T-70X wing is around 15. Damn it! Damn it! Damn it! I didn't need to hear that! <laughs> a great game, though. I love X-Wing. It's probably the Fantasy Flight Games game that I have played the most, though Armada's mechanics seem very cool. I think it's probably the easiest one to jump into for the first time for a, a new player of the miniatures one. It's definitely going to be X-Wing, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gateway drug. As Mark's saying, it's an absolutely a gateway drug into getting into the other miniatures games. Oh, yes. That moves us into television, or at least television shows. And in a sense, we have two different categories this time. We have Rebels, and we have Lego Star Wars. So we'll hit them separately here for Star Wars Rebels. This year, we saw the television airing of season one's second half 
from the episode Idiot's Array all the way through Fire Across the Galaxy. We then have what was sort of a bridge between Seasons 1 and 2, Siege of Lothal, and then kicked off Season 2 with the first half or so, going from the episode The Lost Commanders to Legacy. We also saw the release of Season 1 of Rebels on both DVD and Blu-ray. Ah, Rebels. I gotta admit, man, that show all the way around is so much better than I ever anticipated it would be. Uh, in fact, I, I'm, I'm suggesting people, you know, that are like, hey, should I get into the Clone Wars or Rebels? I'm like, Rebels! Get into Rebels! <laughs> like, I don't know, man. I'm really enjoying the ride a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, I'm blown away that the ghost is kind of becoming my uh, favorite play with uh, Micro Machine slash Diecast Ship. I'm playing with it almost as much, if not more, than I am with the Millennium Falcon. And yes, I play with toys. Don't judge me. Don't hate! Uh, I would say that this is a... I mean, obviously you can hear our detailed thoughts on Rebels by checking out Rebels Roundtable, of course, the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable, the original Rebels Roundtable at rebelsroundtable.com and starwarsreport.com. But from a broader perspective here, I think this was really the year that Rebels came into its own. This calendar year, because the first half of season one was setting things up. I mean, it was good, but it was just slowly setting things up. And then things just sort of built to a fever pitch by the time we got to the end of season one and has kept going in a pretty solid storytelling fashion. So to get the back half of season one, even though January's first episode, Idiot's Array, is one of my least favorite with the stupid puffer pig. We had an awesome back half of season one of Rebels. We then had Siege of Lothal and the beginning of Season 2. This is sort of Rebels at its height thus far, which has been yeah. fantastic. Although, we have gotten to the point now where this year there is a real concern, and going into 2016, there's a real concern of how much the show will become, in some episodes at least, Clone Wars 2.0, because now that Ahsoka has been brought back, and Rex has been brought back, and we saw Hondo brought back, and so on and so on. They are tending to dip into those characters more often, even though they are not the f actual focus of the show. So, kind of cool to see where they go from here, but this was definitely a strong year for that. The Rebels home video releases, I think they were pretty solid. It was unfortunate on a couple of levels, just in that I found it annoying that they took Spark of Rebellion on home video and split it into two episodes instead of doing it as the single aired episode. On the other hand, I am glad that it did have the opening special scene that was added for ABC with Vader talking to the Inquisitor, which was absent from the original DVD release just of Spark of Rebellion. It's also unfortunate that the episodes on Blu-ray and DVD are not theatrical widescreen. They're the same uh, taller widescreen version that we get on television. That is apparently because that is what they are made in, while Clone Wars was actually made in that theatrical ratio and was just aired slightly squished or slightly with the, the edges cut off, whereas... This is sort of a what you see is what you get. It's all they ever made. I would also point out that if you are going to pick up the Season 1 Blu-ray set, and you're thinking about, well, should I get Blu-ray or DVD? You're not quite sure. That should be a no-brainer. But if it's not quite certain for you, the DVD does not include the four shorts, the little short versions, uh, like uh, Entanglement and Art Attack, that the Blu-ray does. But if you already have the DVD of the original Spark of Rebellion release, it did have those shorter ones on it anyway. You know, one of the things about Celebration, you know, we got some word about Season 2 was going to have all these Clone Wars figures show up, and, and that worry came up. And one of the things that really set my mind at ease was when someone asked about Cad Bane showing up and Boba Fett showing up. 
And Filoni had said, you know, hey, we're very much aware that we don't want this to be the Clone Wars retirement home. Uh, and so, you know, Filoni had, had mentioned it as a stream. And he talked, you know, about the Rebels cast as the main stream. And you're getting, you know, basically creaks from Clone Wars, you know, a, a creak of Ahsoka, a creak of Rex and stuff. And they're tying into the mainstream, but they're not going to stay with the mainstream. They're eventually going to branch back off and go on down the hill in their own direction. And that was one of those things that really gives me solace because a lot of people are, are really coming down hard on Rebels for being Clone Wars Volume 2. But again, I, I, I'm pointing out that everything is story driven. I mean, when they brought Ahsoka in, they brought Ahsoka in before they even knew it was Ahsoka. You know, she was Fulcrum. They had this character Fulcrum all designed for Rebels, but they didn't know that they were going to make Fulcrum Ahsoka when they created Fulcrum. So, I mean, it, it's just one of those, it worked perfectly. And so the fact that they're aware of that, I think that they're they're threading the needle and they're very aware of the operation game. Don't let that thread hit the edge of the needle. We're going to have a buzzer go off. I mean, they're very focused on that. And I, I think that that's going to be something that as we move into season three, especially we're going to see some serious payoff because they're paying attention to that. And so many people are concerned with that. And yet like me and you, Nate, we're really enjoying season two for that because they're bringing that stuff in and it's, it's tying it all together. And you know how you and I, we love that, that, that tapestry of all these stories, man. I mean, that's what's gold for me. I mean, I'm, I'm digging that the most, but the fact that they're treading that line, puts those people that are so worried about it being Clone Wars Volume 2 at ease. That brings us to a series that a lot of times gets forgotten, and that is the Lego Star Wars specials over on Disney XD. Now, in 2014, we had seen the new Yoda Chronicles actually airing on television. We got a home video release this year of Lego Star Wars The New Yoda Chronicles, which included all of the ones labeled with the new name, episodes 4 through 7 of the overall Yoda Chronicles. We'll come back to that in a moment on something that drives me nuts. We also saw the release on television and through places like iTunes, but not on physical home media yet, of the five episodes of Lego Star Wars Droid Tales. All kind of the standard funny Lego stuff designed to actually be ongoing storylines, just like Yoda Chronicles started out, so that is kind of a cool thing. The thing that drove me nuts with Yoda Chronicles there was the original three episodes of the Yoda Chronicles on Cartoon Network. When they launched the new Yoda Chronicles on Disney XD, you would think it'd be a separate storyline, but it's not. It actually picks up where Yoda Chronicles from Cartoon Network left off. So in a sense, the Yoda Chronicles as a whole are seven episodes. This year's home video release of the new Yoda Chronicles was all the ones from Disney XD, episodes four through seven. They had done a previous DVD release... And granted, this is a DVD, it's not Blu-ray, there's no Blu-ray uh, of anything of the, the Lego Star Wars stuff except for Padawan Menace. They did a DVD release a while back of the original Yoda Chronicles, but it only had the first two episodes on it. The third hadn't aired yet. So we have the original release of episodes one and two. We have the new release of four, five, six, seven. They have never released Yoda Chronicles episode three on DVD. There is no home video release of that. The only way you can get episode three of it is to get it from somewhere like iTunes as a digital download rather than getting it on physical media. It's an idiotic oversight, and I can only assume it's a middle finger to Cartoon Network because that's where it aired, and screw them, we're only putting out the stuff that was aired on Disney XD. Otherwise, why not have a DVD release of all seven in one package? Drives yeah. me nuts. 
that's beyond weird. Yeah, and it raises a question that, and you're probably going to have the answer to it, and it's probably going to be some legalese, and you know how much I hate that. But we have Lego Star Wars cartoons. Why is it we've got Disney Infinity, and they're like, oh, they're all a bunch of toys playing together, and yet we've got this game out there called Lego Dimensions, but we have no Star Wars Lego Dimension. I'm like, we can make Lego Star Wars movies. We can make Lego Star Wars toys, but we can't make a Lego Star Wars Dimension video game. I, I, I bang my head on the desk. I, I know there has to be some contract somewhere is, is preventing this. Why? Why? It's a contract somewhere preventing it. It's, it's, a, it's a legalese and a business thing, in a sense, here. Because your licensing related to film versus games versus toys and such are all handled separately. And when it comes to the games, basically at this point, they 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 control the license and are wanting to focus on Disney Infinity for right now for a couple reasons. What they've said, at least, is one, they don't want to put out Star Wars stuff for Lego Dimensions because it's going to wind up cutting into the audience for Disney Infinity because they're both those toy-based games. Disney Infinity, Lego Dimensions, Skylanders, uh, Amiibos are all thought of as competitors to each other. The interesting thing to me was what they said was, well, understand... Star Wars is sort of its own thing. So we are good with Disney Infinity because those play sets are just Star Wars. Like, you can't bring Tron characters or Frozen characters into the Star Wars play sets. Now, you can mix them all together in the toy box mode, but the Star Wars story content is just for Star Wars. Whereas in LEGO Dimensions, all the characters play in all the different worlds. You just need a character from that world to access it in the first place. And that whole mix and match of dimensions, like super crossover type thing, they don't want to see done with Star Wars for some reason. So because Disney Infinity lets them sort of pigeonhole Star Wars into its own thing in terms of story, and because of the possible uh, business side of things with competition between the two games, LEGO Dimensions will not, according to Disney, will not have Star Wars content. See, and that that makes some sense. And yet I, I can't, maybe it's the Anvos, but there's one of those out there that is Marvel, uh, where the characters are bigger. And that's a direct competition with the Disney Infinity Marvel characters. I'm like, but clearly it must be in their same boat. I just look at it in the angle of, well, if you can do anything in the toy box on Infinities, why wouldn't the Legos Dimension game, in a sense, be considered a toy box? I'm looking at it from that angle. It's like, I don't see it so much as a Star Wars toy, more as it's a Lego that's themed Star Wars. And, I mean, we even used them in the, the Lego movie. I, I just get back to that angle of, it, it's the same thing like with Marvel. You know, you can have cartoon versions of spider-man fighting with the avengers and the new avengers and all these other things but the second we have a live action version oh we gotta throw a lot of breaks up we gotta get some lawyers involved it's like screw your paperwork yeah it's very very frustrating especially since lego dimensions is a really fun game it's got doctor who in it it's got back to the future jurassic world it's it's fun but again, it's it's also it's it's more comedic. I mean, the game itself plays out. If you can imagine the the, the way that licensed characters were used, including Star Wars in the Lego movie, it's kind of like that. And I don't know for some reason, like no 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 no, got to keep these things separate, which is yes, kind of asinine. But I guess at least they've told us their reasons. Now it's up to us to decide whether we feel they're valid or not. 
That brings us to, of course, big news for the year, which is Star Wars films. But let's start outside the biggest news, so The Force Awakens can kind of take up a lot of our time here momentarily. We have some new releases of the earlier six Star Wars live-action films this year. In fact, three new releases of all six films. You can find information as I cover these, of course, on from the Star Wars Home Video Library, also on the YouTube channel. Boy, this is a YouTube-plugging episode. We saw back earlier in the year the digital release. For the first time, all six of the original Star Wars films released in digital format through things like Microsoft Store, for the the Google Play Store, for iTunes, and so on and so on. Now, these were notable because, aside from A New Hope, all of the episodes, I mean, they were the Blu-ray cuts of the films, but the opening with the 20th Century Fox logo and then going into the Lucasfilm logo and so forth with the music, the fanfare over it before a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, was changed. Again, on All But A New Hope because of licensing rights or because of distribution rights. So that instead, they dropped the 20th Century Fox logo, had just a Lucasfilm logo, and some truncated, really crappy version of the music to then move us into it. It drove a lot of people nuts, myself included. The digital release, though, did come with some interesting extras. If you have a platform that allows you to get the extras, like iTunes, though they are streaming only on iTunes, whereas you can download the actual films and have the actual files. Uh, And interestingly enough, There were a handful of new features for each film, small little featurettes, and then a ton of archival legacy stuff that was basically old special features from previous releases, including some that weren't previously digital, like stuff from, uh, say, the previous VHS releases and whatnot. Then later in the year, in October, I believe it was, we got the Complete Saga reissue, which basically is that Complete Saga Blu-ray set that has episodes 1 through 6, plus a bonus disc of stuff for the prequel trilogy, a bonus disc of stuff in the original trilogy, and a bonus disc that then includes things like parodies and documentaries and such. All as one set, essentially just the same discs reissued again in new packaging that was a little more standard rather than that digibook style that we got back in 2011. And then the very next month, we had Steelbook releases, where instead of being one set... We saw all six Star Wars films released individually, exact same disc again, as the other Blu-rays, in Steelbook packaging. So the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy in the lead-up to The Force Awakens got three, count them, three releases, two of which were within a month, all in 2015. Well, and on top of that, we even had the marathon of the films for the people that wanted to sit there 12 hours beforehand and watch it all the way up to The Force Awakens. Uh, I didn't do that. I've seen the films enough. And after doing uh, The Phantom Menace in 3D and falling asleep in the theater, I was like, you know, I don't need to pay a lot of money to fall asleep to a show I've watched a thousand times. So, yeah, I mean, I I think of these, the, the Steelbook seemed like the one that would be the gotta have item because it's just really cool. But beyond that, it's it's the same old, same old stuff, man. Yes, I actually picked up all of these because I am a collector of these. I do the show on YouTube about them and such. I think of all these, if there's one that I regret, it's the digital release just because I, I am annoyed by the fact that the extras are streaming only, uh, I'm at least for iTunes. I got it off of iTunes, and, they, and the new thing with iTunes extras are 
they are streaming only, and that's a really kind of a pain in the butt when it's HD because of streaming speeds and where it keeps stopping and buffering and all that kind of crap. I find that it's nice, I guess, that they reissued the complete saga for those who didn't pick it up in 2011, though a lot of stores still have them on shelves. Hell, a lot of stores still have them on shelves at full price for those. Uh, The Steelbooks were interesting. I like the look of them. But it's kind of asinine that they released the complete saga and the steelbooks back to back within the span of a month. I think that was kind of dumb. And at the same time, as cool as the steelbooks look, they are slippery as hell. Don't try stacking all six and carrying them in one hand. They will go squirting out of your hand and you'll have two of them left in your hand and the other four are going to go flying. I'm not a huge fan of steelbook cases, though I know some collectors who are all about the steelbooks. Not so much for me. That brings us, of course, to the big one. The one you've been waiting to hear our thoughts on, I'm sure. Uh, Although you probably already heard a little bit of my thoughts on the live stream, and hopefully by the time this is released, you'll also have heard at least some of my thoughts on Rebels Roundtable, and you've had a chance to hear some of Mark's thoughts on Star Wars Report. But, of course, in December, on December 18th, we had the release of The Force Awakens in theaters. Not just in its regular 2D release, but also with IMAX versions, 3D versions, IMAX 3D versions, uh, but in this case, not different cuts of the film, just different ways you could experience it in the theater, along with, as Mark mentioned, that crazy marathon of all seven films. Uh, The Force Awakens was this year's big splash and is really just blasting through movie records to perhaps be one of the biggest splashes in movie history. And we're throwing that quick spoiler warning in because we're about to get really deep on The Force Awakens. Yeah, it, it splashes Death Star size falling in the ocean. Uh, you know, I, I think I like the fact that, you know, I was around for the Phantom Menace the spectacle that was our fandom at that time. Uh, but I got my finger on the pulse this time. And it's a very interesting, not just the reaction I had, but the reaction of my fellow fans and the casual fans, uh, you know, I've got a lot of people that want to know my opinion on it uh, just because of the type of fan I am. You know, I'm, I'm a huge expanding universe fan. My kids are all named after characters from the expanding universe, you know, in a canon that now is an alternate universe where they don't exist. So I'm kind of like, I want to see some names pop up. You know, the, the one name I've been saying the most, I want to see that Ray's mom is named Jaina Jade. I just want my both girls. I can retcon and say that I named my girls after the same character that I knew was going to come 15 years later. Yeah, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Uh, but when it comes to this movie, man, holy cow. You know, I, there's a part of me that's like, there's just way too much to really cover in this little segment. And maybe we'll have to some point come back and revisit it. I'm still digesting it. I've only seen it at this point three times and I still haven't seen it in the 3d yet. Uh, I still want to, because I've heard so much great stuff about it in 3d. I wanted to save something for last. I haven't seen it with my dad. And this is where I feel like I had screwed up so bad. I didn't go and take him right away. I was waiting to do the 3d thing with him and he's already went out and spoiled himself and not in a good way. By going to those places where the fan sites where the fans were really pissed off about the film and they were throwing all this stuff out there, these angry posts and stuff, the unforgivable plot holes that when you start looking at them, you're like, dude, they explain that. They explain that. They, where were you? Did you go to the bathroom like 25 times through the movie? And yeah, so now he's already in that. I'm not going to like it camp. And I'm like, 
crap, I've lost my dad, man. Like I, I got him into the expanded universe and stuff. And now through this, his anger over the expanded universe being set aside, I've, I think I've lost him. Uh, you know, and I, I'm like, how, how spoilery are we going to go here, Nate? Cause there's so many things that like, I don't want, I want everyone to go see this film. Don't be in my dad's boat. Go in it with a blank slate, guys. I mean, I really enjoyed this film. And again, I'm an EU fan, so I was conflicted as hell, right? And I still like the film because I was able to look at it for what it was. It's an alternate universe. Call it canon if you want. It's an alternate universe. Legends is an alternate universe. They're alternate universes. It's okay. Uh, just expect it to be different and be pleasantly surprised, I guess, is, is how I would say from the spoiler-free angle. Although this is, a, I've already put a spoiler warning. Nate, I'm going to kick it to you before I take it again. You know, we are going to be covering this in detail in the near future. I mean, we talked about how to cover it, and I guess it, it always felt like it was going to be far, far down the line. But now that the movie is actually out, and by the time these episodes are all released, it's probably, you know, late to, late January to early February of 2015. Uh, we will be doing some in-depth coverage. I think at this point, our approach, we'll probably need to do an approach about the journey to The Force Awakens and some of the other things that expanded upon The Force Awakens. Talk about the film itself, of course, and then also things like how does it reflect things from the old Legends continuity? How does it rewrite some things from that? Was it necessary to get the Legends continuity out of the way to pull off the film? If so, what were those things that made it necessary and that sort of thing? Trying to do a Beyond the Films twist on coverage of The Force Awakens that you've heard probably ad nauseum by now on all these other different podcasts. And of course, you've heard our initial thoughts elsewhere as well. So from a spoiler-free side of things, absolutely love the movie. I mean, this... It is now my favorite Star Wars film, and I've seen it at this point multiple times. Uh, I went to see it with my wife the night of the opening. Basically, it turns out that our local theater was undergoing renovations, so we couldn't buy advance tickets the night that everybody was hammering Fandango. Instead, we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and they didn't offer advance ticket sales for The Force Awakens that opened... On the 18th, which technically meant the so-called midnight showings were on the 17th. And the midnight showings actually started at like 8 o'clock at night, which I didn't know. My wife hadn't taken off work for. Uh, we went to an actual midnight showing, but we couldn't buy our tickets until two or three days before the film opened. Lots of nail-biting and haunting the, the website for the theater hoping to be able to get tickets. Oddly enough, when we got them, that first showing wasn't full. Neither were any of the other showings that I went to. Apparently, so many people were frustrated by the fact that you couldn't buy them for that location. They bought them for elsewhere, so we had kind of a decent time. Not a lot of idiots in the theater. Some of the few times I've ever gone to a movie theater around here in the last probably decade and not been frustrated by the other people in the theater. Moreover, mm -hmm. their remodeling gave us new chairs that, like, recline... And there's a huge amount of area between the end of the recliner chair so that even if someone is reclining, you could still walk by very easily to go use the restroom or something without really disturbing people. I was I, oh, I'm nice. really blown away by the renovations that they did. It's less seats, but in, in each area. But it's it's a nice setup. It's Tinseltown 17 in Fayetteville, Georgia. Uh closer to, I guess, uh, Riley and Bethany than it is to me, actually. But we went to go see it in 2D the first time. And then I, and that was on the, that Thursday night slash Friday morning. 
And then I went back myself to see it in what they call XD3D on that Monday. XD3D is this bigger screen, but not IMAX size in 3D. And it's a customized surround sound. So there's a lot of rumbling from the back and such where it sort of shakes the place. And then my wife and I then went back a few days later to go see it together in 3D. So we've seen it in theaters three times. I read the novel, read all the stuff that goes along with it, the visual dictionary and all. Uh, I love this film. It is definitely my favorite Star Wars film. I think my rankings now would be this, then Return of the Jedi, then Revenge of the Sith with the Stover effect involved in it. I'm just, I'm fascinated by it. I love the characters. Kylo Ren is a character that I absolutely love because of how conflicted, how interesting his psychology is, even though people are making fun of him as Darth Tantrum and, well, he's emo and this and that, who really aren't taking the time to understand or think about the character. They're going on surface level, which I posted about on the Timeline Gold's Facebook page and got people being being all like, that you're just talking politics. No, when I say that, you know, our society's got to a point where now it's sort of surface level and all about protect my feelings. Everybody gets a trophy and and let's not look any deeper at anything. I mean that. If you're looking deeply at the psychology and what we know of Kylo Ren, he is an absolutely fascinating character. But if you're only looking at surface level, yeah, he's a whiny little bitch, just like Anakin and, and Luke were. Yeah, and? But loved it, loved the cast. Uh, yes, there are a lot of elements that parallel A New Hope, and I think if this was any other franchise, I'd be busting on it for the fact that it does do so many things that another film did, kind of like, uh, I mean, I like Star Trek Into Darkness, but if that wasn't an alternate universe where I could say this is the alternate version of Wrath of Khan, I would have been pissed, because it has so much that parallels Wrath of Khan. This parallels A New Hope a lot, but then so did Return of the Jedi, and... Lucas always talked about how Star Wars is these musical riffs and refrains mm-hmm. and whatnot and thing, and there's the whole ring theory and all that. So I would argue that that's just an extension of this. It's just not under Lucas. It's that same, you know, hitting the certain beats, hitting the certain refrains and the new chorus and all. So yeah, I'm absolutely a The Force Awakens fan uh, above the other films at this point, and I don't think that is something that's going to wear off like when I said the same thing in the first episode of Chrono Radio about uh, Attack of the Clones. That's now one of my bottom to <laughs> <laughs> i i you know most of my reactions on episode 200 of star wars report uh you know i said then and i'll say it here for everybody that didn't hear han solo's always been my favorite canon character uh you know when it came to legends i always loved luke but i never really cared for luke and canon as much as i did han and so having that character have this new backstory was the biggest conflict for me. But at the same time, it's also what elevates this film because you guys know when it comes to my expanded universe books, all my favorite books typically have someone dying in it with the exception of I Jedi, Uh, but star by star, which is tied with my favorite book uh, with I Jedi. We lose Anakin solo, Uh, you know, traitor. We lose Gannariso. Uh, you know, uh, Iron Fist, uh, we lose uh, Tom Fannin. You know, all my favorite death stories are are some of my favorite stories in general. So having that happen in the film has that effect. Like, I hated watching it when it happened. It it tore me up. Uh, But overall, it adds that soft spot in my heart kind of thing. But I'm conflicted at the same time because... There are now these two versions of Han, and in both of them, there's so much tragedy. And I don't know which one I find more tragic, because there's so many aspects of 
what Han didn't have in canon that he did have in Legends. And I'm kind of like, I'm bummed out for him in that regard, too. Like, you know, there was no happy marriage for the most part. It was like a happy marriage for a short part. And didn't have the Millennium Falcon for his whole life. Only had it for a short period of time. Uh, you know, angles like that that have me, you know, I want to know more about it. I want to fill in the gaps and the details. I want to know more about when Kylo Ren was Ben Solo and he he wipes out Luke's order. What sent Han and Luke walking away? Because that's something fundamentally that I cannot at this point wrap my head around still. I mean, we see Han walk away when he loses Chewie, which helps him not walk away when he loses Anakin. So, I mean, guess, yeah, he would have probably walked away, but having Luke walk away too. Like, I, I think there's, there's something there that, that is huge and I can't wait to see how that plays out. It has me very much intrigued. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I'm with you, Nate, this is definitely my favorite film so far. Uh, I'm still processing all the different things. Yeah. There's a lot of things you can nitpick about, uh, you could say, yeah, it's a rip off of a new hope to a degree, but I disagree. I think, like you said, there, there's that, the, the stanzas, you know, you've got the, the, the cycles that Lucas had set up. I think everything about it hit on all the right levels. I just think that most of us had a lot of preconceived notions, which, you know, I was so worried about that going in. I was not spoiled. Uh, I did not know that it was Ben solo at the time. In fact, when they mentioned it, it was an, odd reaction physically i lowered my head and face palmed but i wasn't having a oh you did that kind of face palm it was a heartbroken face palm it was not only is this you know when they say the name you don't know that there's a death but i i knew somebody was gonna die from the moment leia said bring back our boy and he walked out and he said that name i was like oh crap he's gonna die uh, but when he said Ben and he called out Ben, my heart broke in a different level because the name crossed over. You know, I, I, I my, my miscarried son was, we named him Ben. So, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, my, you know, I, I, one of my kids made the trance over, you know, we, well, yeah, it was still Ben because of Kenobi. But there's that weird angle at play where I think about it, like, it's odd that Leia named her son Ben, considering she really didn't know Ben Kenobi that well at all, and really all she knew of was that General Kenobi fought with her father in the Clone Wars. She really had no relationship to Obi-Wan or Ben Kenobi, so her picking the name Ben is really weird. Like, I'm, I'm hoping there's, like, a reason behind that, because at least when she named her son Anakin Solo, it was, like, something she had struggled with, you know, that kind of thing. So, I, I don't know, like, seeing that name switch over, I was sad, and yet happy uh and then that scene the way it played out you know that you've got this great moment where the lights shining down through the doorway that finn and ray had opened up and it's shining the last of the light of the planet uh or the sun onto han and his son and as it dries out i mean you could pretty much see kylo ren's soul dry out with it and when the last of the light dies so does han uh, you know, and, and I think at the end of the day, this is the one thing that nobody realized. The reason why we have a cross guard lightsaber is so that he didn't go all the way through Han. He had something to stop at. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm still tore up on this and I'm looking forward to the point when I've got it on DVD and I can really start breaking down the minutiae. But I want to do it funly. Like I know like a lot of people are breaking it down and hating on it and I don't want to hate on it. I like to just poke fun at some of the things uh, because I had a lot of fun all the way around. I, I think that the way that they've tied things in 
was good. Uh, I just read Before the Awakening. I really dug the way that those stories kind of tied into things. I really dug the background for Poe Dameron's character. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when I think about what J.J. did with this film, I'm happy. I was happy with the Star Trek films. I'm happy with this film. And I'm sorry for the people that hated it. Uh, I, I wish you guys could have you know, had the same experience I had. I walked out genuinely happy. And as a, as a huge expanded universe fan, I was terrified that I wasn't going to like it. My wife was petrified. I was going to hate it. I mean, she was like all the way out. They were all, everybody was looking at me like, well, like, <laughs> and it's an odd spot. Cause you're like, you know, boy, I hope I don't hate this going in and come out just angry as all hell, you know? And, and I think that there's a lot of people that did that. And I think that's the side that really surprised me was the different reactions. But I had that same surprise when it came to the Star Trek films. You know, I had friends that were as dyed in the wool Trek fans like me and my father that absolutely hated it and some that loved it. And it was just odd to find out who fell on what end of the campment line. Well, I too went into it mostly not spoiled. I mean, I heard some of the rumors out there, but it turns out, I mean, only about half of the rumors, right? Half of them were complete BS. So, you know, if you were following rumors, you're still going in kind of not spoiled because you didn't know what would be true, what would not be, and whatnot. Uh, I don't want to get too much into the individual nuances of it because we're going to have the episodes about it. I do think it's, it, I agree. It's a little bit odd that it would be Ben Solo. I wonder if that was just sort of a nod to Ben Skywalker, sort of acknowledging the EU to some degree. Uh, because you're right, Leia didn't seem like she had that much more of a connection to Ben. And, you know, then again, maybe she was so broken up by Ben dying that she wanted to name a kid after him, just like Luke, because remember Luke, you're like, can't believe he's gone. And he's all broken up about Ben being gone, but he didn't give one iota of a sh- Really, when Obi- when Owen and Baru got burned to death, he's like, he's like, oh man, they're dead. I want to go with you to Alderaan. <laughs> Get me out of here. This is my chance. Um, I-, I will agree that I I kind of enjoy the idea of the poking fun as long as it's in good spirit. I don't think that that ripping into something at, out of mean spiritedness is a good thing because that mean spiritedness just kind of infects all the rest of the discussion about it. But yeah, it'd be fun to poke fun. If nothing else, the Rathtars, they're, they're just freaking stupid. Um, it's like he yeah. decided that he was going to take the Kirk being chased by the creature so he can meet old Spock and said, well, how are we going to get them to meet old Han? I know I'll do something similar to the idiotic thing I did in 2009. That's the ticket. Let's have some Rathtars that don't look like anything Star Wars esque. And Lele should probably be running around in the background of Monsters, Inc. Um, (laughs) the one that gets me though is when Han's on the planet and he's got the thick Hoth snow jacket and there's Rey wearing her little skimpy gauze dress I'm like come on Han put the jacket on the lady well let me say though for from the from the perspective of of Rey you said the the skimpy thing I wouldn't consider what she wore skimpy I was very impressed by the fact that they never over sexualized Rey in this film she didn't wind up with part of her clothes slashed off she didn't wind up with a metal bikini uh, she didn't even put her hair down throughout the entire movie. Uh, Ray was a strong female character that was strong because of her character and just happened to be female as opposed to being uh, fitting all these Mary Sue kind of tropes, uh, actual Mary Sue tropes, fitting the damsel in distress tropes and whatnot. I mean, she saves herself and such. So very impressed with the Ray character. But mm-hmm. you know, we'll get into that more when we get into our uh, our actual coverage here. What gets me about this is... Uh, three things, really, that that I would sort of add as as the last thoughts here on my part of this. One is perspective. We have to remember that we have to look at each Star Wars trilogy a little bit differently in terms of how we judge the movies. 
Because if you look at the original trilogy, no matter what Lucas said at different times about, well, it was one movie, and then it was 12, starting with A New Hope, and then it was nine, with A New Hope was four, and then there were always meant to be six, and then, well, there's going to be more. I said I wasn't going to make any, not that somebody else could, and all that BS. When the first Star Wars film came out, when A New Hope hit in 1977, they didn't know it was going to be a phenomenal success. It had to be a movie to stand on its own. Then Empire and Jedi were essentially sequels that by the structure of Jedi, or the structure of Empire leading into Jedi, became a trilogy rather than just a regular set of sequels. So it's a trilogy, but the first one was meant to stand on its own. The prequel trilogy comes out, and it's... In the past, it has a set guaranteed ending point in circumstances they must be in, so certain surprises are gone, and essentially, Phantom Menace becomes a prologue and setup for a trilogy that, yes, has things that are going to happen that might be surprises, but which, in the grand scheme of things, is going to a destination we already know. Whereas in this case, it's a sequel trilogy, or sequel films, and we have an episode that we know is going to be the beginning of a series rather than having to stand alone. And because there's no predetermined endpoint that we know already, they can actually have real mysteries left. Like, if they had done, for instance, episode 1 and 2 before 4, 5, and 6, there would have been a lot of mysteries going into episode 3. But not really the way that they did do it because we already knew where episode 3 had to eventually end up. Now we're actually getting something open-ended with no guaranteed endpoint, so a lot of surprises are to come. So a lot of the criticisms of The Force Awakens is, well, they didn't answer this, they didn't answer that. Well, a lot of the things they didn't answer, like Ray's background, you can probably figure are going to be answered in Episode 8, 9, whatever. So it's different to criticize this film for not explaining than perhaps one of the other films, depending on, on what your question happens to be. I also, number two, find myself blown away by the haters on the film. I I don't I don't know. I would love and I, and I would I would say and we'll put it out here. If you've seen The Force Awakens and probably you have, we'd love to do a feedback episode, I'm sure, on your thoughts specifically about The Force Awakens once we get enough of your thoughts coming in about it. If you liked it, why? But in particular, if you didn't like it, why? Because I'm sitting back and there are people who absolutely loathe the film to the point where, not because it replaced Legends, but because they simply didn't like the film, they're out there not only bashing it, but spoiling it for people on purpose like a bunch of dickheads. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, blows my mind. How could someone hate the film that much? I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding how someone could dislike it to giant degree, to the point where it's something a film they don't like as opposed to, well, I just like it a little. You know, that somebody's just like, oh, I wish it hadn't been made. Blows my mind. On top of that, though, number three, George Lucas's actions and comments since the film's release blow my mind, but at the same time really make me lose some of my respect for the man. Mm -hmm. Because George Lucas, I respected him as a visionary as he was in the 80s and the 70s, and even getting into the early to late 90s. And then came the prequels, and while I still have respect for the man, the prequels blunted that. Because I realized that a lot of the excesses that bothered me about certain aspects of the prequels, like the extreme CGI, uh, some of the, the way that certain parts are written and so forth, was because it was Lucas doing it on his own. Whereas with, if you go back to uh, Return of the Jedi and The Empire Strikes Back, he had someone else working with him on the writing, and 
it was someone directing it that wasn't Lucas. He was sort of the visionary behind it, but other people were carrying out the vision for him. You get the prequels, and aside from Jonathan Hales doing a little bit of helpful writing on 2 and 3, I believe, it was pretty much all Lucas. And the only person right there assigned it was Rick McCollum, who's this yes man who wouldn't say no to anything. And you get the prequels that, while I enjoy the prequels, they don't stand up as well, I think, as the original trilogy does. They won't be as timeless in the grand scheme of things, particularly in terms of the CGI and the aging of effects and whatnot. And then you get the Clone Wars, where Lucas had been like, well, you know, you all play in the Clone Wars, have fun with it, Dark Horse and such, you know, the licensees and all, I'm stepping back. And he's like, nope, I'm going to do this. And he starts doing things that are trampling all over what came before. He knows there's stuff that came before. He doesn't give a crap of what came before. He's doing his own thing. And sometimes he's doing things that seem like they are just out of spite. Like, oh, I want to make, I want to have a planet as the home world of the Sith. Korriban? That's what you've called it in the EU? Screw you. I'm going to call it a uh, uh, Moraband. Yeah, that's the ticket. You can't tell me that he just came up with Moraband out of nowhere. It sounds too much like Korriban. He was either influenced or it was a, a deliberate screw you to the Legends continuity to say, I'm going to do this. Add that to the fact that you get those behind-the-scenes things for the Clone Wars where sometimes they give credit to EU ideas they grab and sometimes they don't, like Katie Lucas basically taking credit for creating Night Sisters and Dathomir and Force Witches. And there's a lot of frustration there that causes me to sort of step back and say, you know what, Lucas, you were awesome, but you seem like you kind of lost it or you were kind of going off the rails. You reached your own point of excess and you need to get back to the man that you were back in the 70s and 80s, to really put something like this together. So the prequels get this really mixed reaction, sort of a love-hate relationship that had been had with the prequels, and the mass media and reviewers really started panning things like The Phantom Menace, and as time's gone on, it seems like it's only gotten worse. Then you get the sequels that come out that abandoned much of what Lucas had wanted to do with the story, apparently, and did their own thing. Uh, it's this huge, phenomenal success. There are people being brought back to Star Wars because of it, and... It's, it's breaking all these records, and here's Lucas, like this sour grapes guy, who at first it was like, well, it's kind of like a breakup, and you just have to do this, and he's being sort of calm about how, well, when I sold it, it's not mine anymore, I have to step away, and I'd like to view it as a fan. And now that it's out and winning all these records, it's like, I sold it to white slavers. F*** you, George! I like that Disney immediately made him recant on that. Although it's not like Disney's making me say this, but it's like, well, you know, I'm actually I'm very excited about the direction it's... that Bob Iger and everybody's doing. But uh, uh, there's a mouse behind me with a shotgun, so uh, I'm very happy with the new film. I mean, I he he's the guy that we owe for the creation of the entire Star Wars universe. I mean, his vision. I mean, there is no denying this man is an absolute legend, and will be thought of in the annals of history as one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Bar none. But it seems like, I don't know, he's sort of, it, it, I can't think of anything other than Sour Grapes as the way that he's acting since mm -hmm. the film came out. And it's odd because he was very positive about it, about Disney and about J.J. Abrams and such prior to the film coming out. It can almost, I can't think of any reason other than the fact that it's, so successful to change his mind because it is such a night and day difference of what's coming out of his mouth before the movie came out and what's coming out of his mouth now. Um, I, so when I say F you, George, I don't mean to diminish what he's given us, but stop acting like a brat. Stop acting in a way that demeans you, George. You are someone that people look up to. You are a legend. Don't act like a douche because... 
someone has carried on your legacy in a way that you should be proud of, not pissing on. Uh, it just it, it it blows my mind the things that he said about this going out of it. It's 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 shocking to me, quite frankly. And I think that um, it, I. There are two ways you can handle it. It's just like writing for Legends, right? If you write for Legends continuity back in the day, like I did with Tales, you know that it's somebody else's sandbox. You know that at any given time they could come in and overwrite it and basically kick down your sandcastle with something new, but you're privileged to play in the universe itself. You have that recognition of who is in charge, who is the creative power, who gets to make those decisions, and where do I stand in context of that? Lucas now, with Star Wars... He's no longer the man in charge. He now has to be able to step back and view it as a fan or view it as a, a proud papa whose kids have gone off to make their own lives or whose ex has gone off to live her own life and be able to say, you know what? This isn't mine. I'm interested to see what they do with it and I will critique it based on what it is, etc., etc. As opposed to sounding like he's basically saying, well, my ex went off and got married. I hate that guy. What? <laughs> Get your head out of your ass, George. Start acting like the man who we all admire and stop acting like somebody who if we saw you at a party, we'd be shaking our heads, leaning our heads down and looking at our drink and shuffling away from you as quickly as possible. <laughs> well, another angle, too, is you got those fans that are like. Oh, another JJ explains post. See, these are the reasons why this film isn't good. You've got to explain everything after the fact in posts. And I'm of the opinion, I'm like, you know, there's a major difference here between JJ and George Lucas. Lucas doesn't take criticism well. Lucas isn't going to go out there and say anything because Lucas likes to hide underneath the sand and bury himself in the sandcastle because he knows he owns the sandcastle. And he knows that people are going to pick on him and he's going to come back and go, well, I, well, I make films for people that don't hate, you know, they hate my stuff. So, you know, he was never openly going out and, and giving us these kind of things. I mean, what was the most we got with like the Clone Wars with the Mortis stuff? Oh, oh, yeah, we have nothing on that. But JJ is opposite of that. JJ's always out there sharing and talking and he's not afraid of that type of publicity. And that's exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing ranking in on that publicity here. And that's something that Lucas would avoid, like the Black Plague. Lucas would not put himself into that position because he's expecting to get dogged on and slammed because of what happened with the prequel trilogy and everything else. So, I mean, there, there's a difference in approaches from the director, and yet some of the fans are like, oh, this is a sign that the film is bad. It's like, no, I, I think you're looking at it wrong. I think this is a, a sign of the different person in the director's chair and their personality and the relationship with the media. And the relationship with the material itself. I mean, Lucas has talked about how he never got a chance to see Star Wars as a fan and how this was going to be his first time to really do that. And you got J.J. Abrams, who was the opposite. This is his first time being behind the camera, whereas previously he could only experience it as a fan. You have a fan making the film, which is why you get some people saying, oh, it's just a glorified fan film because it's not Lucas. Well, yeah, they're fans. Mm -hmm. And they made the film. That doesn't make it a fan film because this film is canon. I mean, this is the new continuity and such. It is an official release. But wouldn't you rather have it be people who love the saga behind the scenes and working on the film with the joy that Daisy Ridley and John Boyega bring to it that you see every time you see any video of them or any interview with them? 
than have it be people who are curmudgeonly and are like, I guess we're making a Star Wars movie this time. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Isn't this the one with Spock? I mean, you want to make sure that the people behind it actually have a reverence and a love for the material. Um, I mm-hmm. really hope that this is a phase that Lucas is going through. I mean, I don't want to tell him that he doesn't have a right to speak, but I hope that he, what he's saying starts to become more rational and starts sounding more mature and more like the George that we know and less like an, an annoyed child as we get further out from the film's release. And I think the fact that he turned around and had to take back the white slaver thing very quickly mm-hmm. may have been his wake-up call of, George, what are you doing? Because he could say bad things. I can imagine. He would say he, he could say anything and criticize anything about the film in a rational way, and I don't think he would have had to backpedal. Yeah. But he broke out the white slavers thing, which especially <laughs> in this racially charged environment we're living in right now, that's like him going in and saying, saying, yeah, John Boyega, yeah, I didn't like that in-words performance. I mean, it's it's almost to that level because you don't use slavery anymore. Don't well, use, just, just, it, it's, more it's a bad so, enough thing, but good Lord. Well, more so, Lucas is married. To a lady of color, like uh, like if if anyone is going to be more hypersensitive to those type of phrases, you would, you would think-, think it would be somebody like that that's in a in a in a uh, you know a, a biracial marriage. Like unless I mean- unless what this is is him thinking, well, I can use that word. It's like it's like you know some of my best friends are black. I can use this racially charged phrase because <laughs> some of my best friends are black. No, unless unless what he's saying is unless we got it wrong. Maybe it's not that George Lucas looked at the film and said, I gave my children away to people who beat them and rape them and treat them like crap the way that slaves did back in the day whose masters were white. Maybe that's not what white slavery meant. Maybe it's a fantasy and he's into S&M and he wants his wife to break out the whips and chains and him saying that he sold it to white slavers is him saying, oh, it was so good. (laughs) Or, Or he's just from the deep south and he's like, well, you know, we brought them over here. We we paid for their free shipping, and then we gave them food, and we gave them clothes, and we gave them a home. I mean, they had no wants in life. No, George, no. Uh, you, you'd mentioned <laughs> never, never before have I thought of Amazon Prime in relationship to slavery. But as soon as you said, <laughs> we gave them free shipping, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> okay, whatever. Well, in the reference of of you know being done by a fan, I think one of the things that really brings that to the focus is the Falcon. Every time you watch the Falcon flying or crashing or a blend of both, it's very apparent that JJ was somebody who played with the Falcon a lot. I mean, imagine what that Falcon crash would have been like if it would have been done by Michael Bay. I mean, that would have just been crazy. You watch, when you watch the Falcon, it looks like somebody who's holding onto a die cast toy and wrecking it across their snow covered blanket. You know, I mean, it looks like somebody who had played with the Falcon for hours on end, trying to think of how would it crash if it came in at this angle? How would it crash if it came in at that angle? Would it rub across here? Would it just complete? I mean, there, you watch those scenes when the Falcon hits the ground and that's all I'm going to put there. But when you're seeing it, it's clear that JJ was a Falcon fan. And I, that, that was something that I really dug right out of the get go. Uh, the other aspect of this, that the outer universe angle is that not all the theaters were letting fans dress up. Uh, some were absolutely no 
you know, no weapons, no cosplay, no anything. You had some where it was like, yeah, come on in. We don't care. My theater, while they didn't throw any restrictions up, uh, I was able to bring in my lightsaber hilt. I just took the hilt itself. I didn't bring the light attachment and anything. Uh, and I got to admit, it was really fun watching it the first time, clenching my lightsaber the whole way through the film. Uh, I got a kick out of that. But I think the thing about this film that really made me the most excited and happy all the way around was Ray. And I say that in the aspect of it as a father of daughters. Uh, you know, my my oldest daughter, Taylor especially, my mom and my sister had given her the impression that Star Wars was for boys. And when they did that, it really, 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 really pissed me off. Because they've, they've ruined my kid for a long time for Star Wars. She wanted nothing to do with it because of the way that they made it seem. Uh, but after this film, she was so amped, so excited. Uh, she wants Ray figures now. I got her a Ray poster for, uh, well, it's a painting type thing for her, uh, Christmas. She absolutely loves it. She is as engaged with this new trilogy as I was with the new Jedi Order. And if you're somebody that's been listening to our show for the whole 195 episodes, you know what I mean. Uh, and And having that after the damage that my mom and my sister did to her, uh, you know, when, when you got a dad that's into Star Wars as much as I am, you know, having one kid that's kind of like looking at you like a freak is not what you want. You don't want your kids doing that because then the next thing you know, there's going to be this divide. And as they get into the teenage years, they're going to start looking down on you. And it's like, you know, I was really pissed off with my mom and my sister for that. So the fact that J.J. had described this as a movie for mothers and daughters to go and see, I was excited. My, my wife's a Star Wars fan, but she's not a, a dyed in the wool Star Wars fan. Uh, but this film has definitely worked for both her and my daughter in that regard. And yeah, you know, people are talking about the whole Mary Sue angle and we'll, we'll cover that more at some point too. Uh, but I think that, that everything about the diversity, uh, the strong female leads in this film, I, I think it was needed. I think that it was long overdue. Uh, and I think that JJ played it well with the only exception I would say would be of Captain Phasma. And I only say this because it appears to be when they showed us that first shot and it had the whole main cast, everybody was like, one, two, we got two girls on here. Not enough women. Hey, hey, we need more women. And because of that cry alone, they changed Phasma from a male to a female. And then they didn't do anything with Phasma. You know, I mean, if you were going to do something with her, I'd have been more okay with it. But instead we get the scene with Finn with this really cool baton twirling trooper. And it's like, that should have been Phasma. I was just like, what a drop ball. You, you made her another supposedly strong female character, the female villain. And yet she had a very small role. Like, so, so on one hand, I'm like really excited about all the diversity. And then at the same time, it's like, wow, there were some missed opportunities. But I say from the beginning, when it comes to Star Wars and fandom, every single thing, be it the comic, be it the book, be it the game, be it the film, TV show, you name it, everything in Star Wars is going to have its ups and its downs. You know, I'm grabbing a, a, a die cast toy off my table here. You know, Millennium Falcon looks great from the top. I turn that sucker over. No paint on the bottom. You know, everything has got its ups and its downs. And if people can't recognize that, they need to start. Because that's the first thing in this fandom is you got to realize that we have so many varied opinions and there are so many of us. It's a melting pot. 
and no one way is the absolute, you know, I mean, there's just so many different directions you can go. There's the highs, the lows. If you hated it, you're not wrong. If you loved it, you're not wrong. Amen. That's where intellectual honesty comes in, right? Recognizing all aspects of something and being able to sort of break it down without it having to be all one or all the other or uh, Sith dealing in absolutes, so to speak. So it should be an interesting discussion. We get a chance to go deeper in detail, quite a bit deeper over the span of multiple episodes, I'm sure, on The Force Awakens uh, coming up in the very near future here on the show. This leaves us one last topic to which I can't really speak for 2015, and that is Celebration Anaheim, which was held earlier this year. I know Mark was able to attend. I'm hoping I'll attend the next one that's in the U.S. Maybe it'll be somewhere on this coast and my wife and I can go. But uh, Mark, I know we did quite a bit on this in the in the past, but uh, kind of briefly, thoughts on Celebration Anaheim to round us out. Yeah, it, it was my first celebration. Uh, in a sense, it was my first big Star Wars fan anything. Uh, everything I've done typically has been local and kind of small. I got to admit, I will be super stoked at the time that you and I are able to be at a celebration together. Um, you know, I, I went, I did go, Riley and Bethany were there. Uh, it was their s- third, I think it was their third celebration. Uh, Riley had a plan. So I only saw him like two or three times. Uh, but I did see other podcasts, uh, you know, the hosts and stuff. They were hanging out and doing stuff together. And, you know, me and you were the same age. We shared the same passion. So I honestly, I was like, I could see you and I going to this thing and us kind of going to most of the same things. Whereas Riley was trying to cover a big majority of different topics for the site. So he was everywhere. So I didn't see him, but like five times. Uh, so there's that angle that I'm lo- really looking forward to with you going at some point that said going on my own, it was definitely a learning curve. Uh, we've decided my family and I, I will go alone next time. Uh, I tried to include them in on as much stuff as possible. Right now that the Force Awakens is out and they're a little more engaged in fandom, maybe there'll be something for them to want to go to uh, more on the next time. But overall, I was trying to do that balance of you know being the good dad, the good husband, and a Star Wars fan. And honestly, the Star Wars fandom myself was like all, <gasps> and I forgot my family was standing right next to me, uh, which is not what you want to do when you want to be a good husband and a good dad, because then you become the douchebag that just left the family standing in the middle of celebration Anaheim. And you just took off to go look at some really cool video game in the corner. Uh, but that said, it was really cool. I mean, you had a lot of cosplayers, you had a lot of really cool, uh, merchandise, uh, you had actors and stuff roaming the floor. Uh, we went to go down one of the elevators and Peter Mayhew came rolling up behind us. We gave him our elevator. Uh, and the best part about that was my son had no clue. I'm like, Gavin, Gavin, look at me. And I'm taking pictures. I was like, like three or four pictures and over Gavin's shoulder, there's Peter Mayhew. And he had no idea of who was sitting in the wheelchair. You know, I'm like, that's Chewbacca. Like, wait, that's who? Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of cool. I like that aspect of it. Uh, there was so much going on when it came to the, the, uh, trailers and stuff being released like they did. I was really hoping they were going to do it like they did. They did it. Uh, the only downside there was, again, I was trying to do that balance of family and stuff. I didn't want to leave my family behind in the hotel and have them find me down there. So I was like, oh, no, I'll go with you guys. So I miss seeing the Force Awakens trailer. Uh, but me and my son, Gavin, we did go in and we got to watch the season two trailer for Rebels. And it was one of those aspects. Uh, you know, the same one. Both of them had that black moment where the screen goes completely black and you don't see or hear anything. And then you just hear, you know, three words, 
with the Han one, you had Chewie, we're home, and then you have My Name's Rex. And both times, you know, just the way the crowd lit up and the feeling. I mean, Han said Chewie, we're home on the first day of celebration, and that was definitely the theme for every fan that was coming and going at the Anaheim Convention Center for that whole thing. Everyone felt like Star Wars is home and we are home as fans. And, you know, with the highs and lows of the prequel trilogy and stuff, that was a really cool place to be where it felt like all the fandom was on the same page. Now that the uh, film has come out and you've got fans that are on the other side where they're like, oh, it wasn't what I was hoping and stuff. It's kind of depressing in that angle of like, you know, you're going to eventually start seeing some prequel or some sequel trilogy haters. Uh, you know, we're seeing some of that right now. We're calling it backlash, but eventually it's going to be a core camp, just like the prequel haters out there and stuff. And again, I get back to that. You know, you got to be honest with yourself and recognize that there is good amongst the bad. Uh, and, and I think for those of us that are enjoying it and we're hearing the people bringing it down. Try not to be so quick to dismiss them as well, because I think the the automatic dismissal of each other's opinions adds to a lot of the warring. Uh, and when you're at war with someone, things always escalate. And I, I think that that's one of the things that we as fans, we need to take the escalation out of it, uh, you know, and just recognize that these are just opinions and, you know, just go with the ride, man. Yes, for God's sake, use the stairs or an elevator. Stop using the escalators. Is that... Okay, that wasn't his point. My bad. My bad. Uh, But that, folks, should round up a very interesting 2015 for Star Wars. We've gone through the novels. We've gone through the comics. And in this case, everything else coming up, our coverage of The Force Awakens as 2016 rolls along here. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we want to mention your Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you can get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with the book you flat out hate. Because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months. Yep, that's one year with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this is Ben, Mark, and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. People are going to take offense to my comments about what George Lucas said, and they'll say, F you, Nathan, and you get your head out of your ass.
Don't worry, folks. I hear it all the time. <laughs> and not just from his wife. Shut up, cat, and go away. That's funny. I just coughed when you said that. I was like, oh, my God. Am oh, I no. Muted? No, she's under the, the, she was under the chair and went, like, I don't know if it hurt it or not, but back off. <laughs> Damn it, lost cat. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Gotta love that. Mm. I'm so f tired. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I remember it's frustrating. It has to do with that f game. What were you saying right before that? Uh, just the money aspect. Was all. Yes, yes. Age of Rebellion. Stay on target. Desperate allies. Shut up, Trinity. Cats meowing again. What we're seeing, we're seeing him raping in. We got the. Dice pack, <laughs> which you have to cut this out, I'm sure. But which on my notes I wrote as the dick pack, apparently. <laughs> the following is a contest announcement from Star Wars Beyond the Films. All prizes are from private collections, and all entries must be received by February 29th. Hello, Star Wars Beyond the Films listeners. If you're catching this in the feed, then it's your lucky day. It's a chance for you to enter our contest tying into our multiple-part year-in review episodes that we do, of course, every year. Those are coming up here in the feed, and to celebrate The Force Awakens and the end of 2015, the beginning of 2016, we have a pretty large contest, a giveaway here with quite a few items that we will be giving away. Mark and I have reached a point where in our fandom we just sometimes wind up with uh, extra copies of things, for instance, or unusual things that may not be part of our collections, and rather than hoarding it like Uncar Plut might, we instead want to share the love a bit and hand these out as part of a massive giveaway here that we'll have to handle a little bit differently because of how many different types of prizes there are this time. Yeah, in fact, we've got a plethora of Star Wars goodies that we're ready to give away. In fact, are you new to the Star Wars universe? Are you new to Legends? Are you wanting to know the difference between canon and the expanded universe? Well, we've got some awesome goodies there. we got the 2015 Delray sampler, as well as the Marvel previews, and some other goodies. Nate, what else we got? Well, our prize packs are going to be pretty varied in terms of what is in them. What I think of as the biggest of the prize packs is for those who have not quite gotten into Disney Infinity 3.0. For those of you that don't know, Disney Infinity 3.0 was released, of course, on consoles and Apple TV and whatnot, where you play with actual figures. But every time you buy a figure, it comes with a webcode card. Because on Android, on iOS devices, and on PC, there is a digital-only version of the game where you play the same missions, you still get access to the toy box and everything, but in order to play with any given characters, you have to get them for that digital version of the game. So you either buy them in the game itself digitally, with real money, or you buy the actual figure, but have no way really to use the figure, and instead you enter the little web code onto the website, and it unlocks those characters for you in the digital-only version of the game. Now, Mark and I are big players now of Disney Infinity, which means we've got a ton of figures, but that also means we have a whole bunch of web code cards that we're not using. 
And rather than just having them sit around, we want to give those codes away via email to someone who wins part of this giveaway. So we have three different Disney Infinity web codes via email contest prize packages here this time around. The first one is enormous. I tried counting up the value of this, but it's just kind of insane if you were to try to get all of these figures through the app paying cash for them each time. So first Disney Infinity Super Web Code Prize Pack for us includes web codes for... And again, just the web codes. We're not talking figures. We're talking the web codes that you need. You'd get them through email and unlock them in the digital version of the game. It includes the codes for the Twilight of the Republic playset pack that includes Anakin and Ahsoka, the Rise of the Empire playset pack that includes Luke and Leia, the Force Awakens playset pack that includes Finn and Rey, plus Obi-Wan, Yoda, Darth Maul, Han, Chewie, Darth Vader, Boba Fett, Poe, Kylo Ren, Kanan, Ezra, Zeb, and Sabine. Yes, every single Star Wars figure released thus far for Disney Infinity 3.0, but that's not all. You also get codes for the Toy Box Takeover and Toy Box Speedway Toy Box Expansions for 3.0. Both Tron Legacy figures, that's Korra and Sam Flynn. The one figure released thus far for Nightmare Before Christmas, Jack Skellington. Two of the three figures released for Frozen, Elsa and Anna. You get a figure for The Incredibles, Mr. Incredible, one for Monsters University, Sully, all the ones released for Pirates of the Caribbean, that's Jack Sparrow, Barbosa, and Davy Jones. You get a Mickey Mouse figure, and you get every single figure they have released thus far for Marvel. That includes the Avengers playset with Black Widow, Iron Man, and Thor, so the Spider-Man playset pack with Nova and Spider-Man. Guardians of the Galaxy playset pack with Star-Lord and Gamora. You've got Groot, Yondu, Ronin, Drax, Rocket Raccoon, Falcon, Loki, Hulk, Captain America, Hawkeye, Black Suit Spider-Man, Venom, Iron Fist, Nick Fury, Green Goblin, and for 3.0, Ultron, and Hulkbuster Iron Man. Some of these are for 3.0 and play just in 3.0. Others of these Marvel ones play also in 2.0 with their playsets, and you can still download the app or download the PC version of 2.0 to play those stories as well and these web codes unlock them in all different incarnations of the digital only version of disney infinity that is a ton of disney infinity figures essentially a complete marvel set pirates of the caribbean set star wars set and tron legacy set and night before christmas i guess including some other ones to go with them all here in one prize package, all emailed to you as an enormous list of codes if you win this particular prize pack. We also have two more Disney Infinity prize packs, so call that first one Disney Infinity prize pack number one. We then have Disney Infinity prize pack number two, which includes Anakin, Obi-Wan, Yoda, Luke, Kanan, and Vader. All of those web codes emailed directly to you. We then also have a Disney Infinity prize pack number three, which includes the Rey and Finn, the Force Awakens playset pack, the Anakin and Ahsoka Twilight of the Republic playset pack, plus Poe and the Toy Box expansion, Toy Box Speedway. We then also have three comic book bundles here. We'll call them again, one, two, and three. Comic book prize pack number one is Marvel's Star Wars number one through 13, the current series. These are the actual physical comics. Now, granted, the digital code in each has been used to redeem a digital copy. So you will have the comic, not the digital copy. We have Star Wars number 1 to 13. Yes, that includes a first printing of each issue. None of these second printing, third printing stuff. So you're getting a first printing of number 1 
plus of those others that have been reprinted over and over again uh, with their regular covers. Star Wars 1 to 13 includes Skywalker Strikes, that one Obi-Wan Kenobi flashback issue, The Last of His Breed, then the entire showdown on the Smuggler's Moon storyline, along with the first of that series' issues from Vader down. We then have comic prize pack number two, which is Darth Vader, number one through 13. Again, all first print, physical copies, but the digital copy has been redeemed from each one. In this case, that is the original Vader storyline, the Shadows and Secrets storyline, and the first of this series to be part of Vader Down. Then we have comic prize pack number three, which includes all five issues of Lando, all five issues of Princess Leia, and the first two issues of Chewbacca. Call it sort of a miniseries prize pack, but it's comic prize pack number three. Now, all of these are coming from those extra copies I was receiving through the subscription service through Marvel Comics. So they are in pretty good shape. There are some of them that have slight bends and such to them. I would say back in the day when it used to be graded good, very good, near mint, and mint, they're all anywhere between, I would say, very good and mint. It just sort of depends on the issue. But you're getting all of them as first prints in physical form for these. We then have some various oddballs. Let's go to the books. We have hardback copies available as prizes of... Battlefront Twilight Company by Alexander Freed, Before the Awakening by Greg Rucka, and Aftermath by Chuck Wendig, all as separate prizes here. We also have one copy of Movie Magic Magazine, which has the article in it that I wrote about The Force Awakens. Whoever wins that one will get a signed copy of that issue of Movie Magic Magazine. I'll sign either the cover or the page with my article, whatever the winner decides they prefer. Then we have, for those who are newer fans, we have three prize packages that include one 2015 Delray sampler and one Marvel preview comic that was just recently released. So a preview comic, a preview from the Del Rey stuff from 2015. Those together, we have three of those duos to give away. We then have four standalone copies to give away of the Marvel Star Wars preview comic that was recently released by itself. Again, four of those to give away. And on top of all of this, if you were to enter and not win, as long as supplies last, I'll be breaking out a stack of cards that I have. We have a whole bunch of cards that are basically my card. It's me on the front and information about Star Wars Action News on the back. From way back when, Star Wars Action News did a card set of all the people contributing to their show. A lot of folks have wanted these to be able to put a signed card of mine in with their copy of Star Wars Tales number 21 or Star Wars Tales Volume 6 or something somehow relating to that story that I wrote or something similar. Or just if you're a fan of the podcast, perhaps. So I will take one of those cards or a Wars card, which I have fewer of, that relates to something from my Wars novellas sign that card, and mail it out to those who don't win the other prize packs. Yes, for those who do win the other prize packs, I'll go ahead and include one of the Star Wars Action News cards signed in there with it, in case you got a copy of Star Wars Tales 21 you want to stick that sucker in with. So a lot of different prizes this year. Yeah, you ain't kidding. That's a Death star size prize package extravaganza. Now to enter, because there are so many, here's what you need to do. First, the entries are only via email. So send an email to swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. When you do, put giveaway in the subject line. In the body of the email, we need you to tell us your name, 
and your mailing address in case you win so we can send you the prizes that you won. Although, granted, of course, if you win any of the Disney Infinity ones, we just send you an email with the codes. There's nothing to actually send through the mail unless you would like to also get one of those signed cards, which is fine. That said, we also need to know your top three prizes that you would prefer. Now, we can't guarantee that the prize you're going to get is the one you prefer, but here's the way it's going to work. You put down your top three. Number one, number two, number three. First choice, second choice, third choice. And we'll start drawing winners. And when we draw the first winner out, that person gets their first choice. We draw the second winner out. They'll get their first choice unless it was the one the other person chose. Then we'll go to their second choice or go to their third choice and so on and so on as we pull people's names until everything that can be given away has been given away. It's going to be a lot of packages for me and Mark to send out, but we thought this would be a great way to wrap up the year. Indeed. It's our way of giving back more than our giving you our voices over the internet, (laughs) which thank you for listening. (laughs) So again, folks, email swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Put giveaway in the subject line. Give us your mailing address and your name in case you win. And tell us what your top three choices would be. Again, those choices are Disney Infinity Prize Pack number one. That's that large one of web codes. Disney Infinity Prize Pack number two, which is the one that has Anakin, Obi-Wan, Yoda, Luke, Kane, and Vader. Disney Infinity Prize Pack number three, which is the Ray and Finn, Anakin and Ahsoka, Poe, and Speedway. Again, those are all for web codes. You will get emailed the items if you win those. Comic prize pack number one, which is Star Wars 1 to 13. Comic prize pack number two, which is Vader 1 to 13. Or comic prize pack number three, which is Lando, Leia, and the first two issues of Chewbacca. Movie Magic. Aftermath. Before the Awakening. Twilight Company. Both samplers, which would tell us you want to enter for the Delray Sampler Marvel preview comic. Or simply preview comic. My guess is we probably won't have a lot of people making those last couple their first, second, or third choices, but it's always possible. Mainly we want to make sure that we're getting something to you that you can use if you are the first people being drawn. But we will keep drawing till everything is given away. Absolutely. So thanks for listening, folks. Happy New Year, and keep listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films. And may the Force be with you. Always. But enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the Bible. I need to make this bigger. Let's just do that now. A bi-bowler Star Wars fan would be like somebody who's out there bowling strikes and looking and winking at both the men and the women. (laughs) The bi-bowler Star Wars fan. Striking out. And give me one second, let me flip a switch, because now that the fan is on, I got a feeling it's going to be picked up by the audio, picked up by the microphone. Let me sit back down. Uh, uh, here we go. All right. Uh, you said the idea that Falcon's a hunk of junk. Then sort of younger reader books, not really children's books, but books aimed a little bit younger than the tend... But books ain't... Quite a few. I mean, heck, that's... What? Six? No. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Uh, there's this whole thing in that book about how uh, the moth wants. What is her name? The Imperial Woman. That's oh, in everything. Uh, uh, 
Oh, Jesus. Now that you said that, uh, not Ray Sloan. Moore's Ray Sloan. Ray Sloan. He is Snap Wesley. Or. Just, wait, 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 wait. That guy's Barrett's, Barrett's neighbor? neighbor? Yeah. Are you kidding me? No, it's Barrett's neighbor. That is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're someone doing something like the Star Wars timeline gold. Whoa. You're not muted. Uh, yeah, that was a surprise. <laughs> but they always talked about it. I'm thinking of, and I forget which one it is. It's sitting in there on my shelf. Actually, give me just a second. Let me grab it because I want to be able to actually quote this thing. Ow. Yes, here we go. Alright. So I want to read the back of this thing and how much bullshit it is. Okay. Okay. Well, like, for instance, the back cover text of The Weapon of a Jedi. This is a story that features Luke's basically first... Hang on. Make sure I'm looking at the right thing. Yeah. You may have to do that again. I have my speaker on, and I unmuted for a second. Hit his little sound again. Sure. Oh, come on. Give me that one again, you bastard. That'll work. 